Well, um, how are all of you feeling today? Challenged. Glad to be here, some of you. Yeah. Um, what I feel from many of you is that uh, there's a real struggle still with emotions, right? And sometimes getting into the emotions, sometimes into the anger, sometimes into the fear is happening. Um, so, and perhaps we could, sorry, before I get going, could someone just maybe open one of those side doors just to indicate to people that they can walk in through the side? All right, well, I, I thought I'd first tell you how I'm feeling. I'm feeling really terrible today, actually. <laughs> um, I really wanted today to be a really uh, a good session for everyone because it's uh, probably, of all the subjects that I could speak of, today, the subject today is one of the most important subjects in terms of your own progression with God. And, and the subject today, by the way, is relationship with God. And I'm focusing on the area of the relationship with God called humility. And it's one of the big three things in terms of your progression, humility. It's one of the three big things. Remember, the first thing is divine love. The next one is divine truth. And then the third one that we always look at is humility. And so... It's one of the three big issues that you need to face in your own life if you want to come to God. And because of that, I wanted to present it in a nice flowing and easy flowing manner and everything else. And myself and Mary have had so many emotions come up this week. And I've gone through, I've gone through so many emotions the last few days. And I've gone into this little childlike, hurt childlike state that I'm still in. Uh, so I'm finding it very hard to even feel what this subject's all about and all those kind of things. And so I don't know how today's presentation is going to be, go, to be frank with you. Um, I hope that somehow we'll work the way through it and, and hopefully some of God's truth can flow <laughs> as it normally does, but uh, I can't promise that today. And fortunately, I've typed up a, an outline of this, what was meant to be done today, and, uh, and it's downloadable on the internet. So if you want to know what I was, should have said today... Then you can go. <laughs> then you can go and download that, right? Um, when I get into this state, usually what I do is I um, stay home. <laughs> but staying home means uh, cancelling the session, and cancelling the session usually means like a few hundred people who have made plans get all their plans mixed, uh, all um, harmed. So I. Uh, and, and we were down here already before this emotion came up for me. It came up yesterday and we were already down in Brisbane. And by the way, we were down there seeing 2012. Anybody seen that yet? Right, quite a few. Yeah. Interesting, don't you think? Mm. So um, obviously a, a movie like that is going to bring up all sorts of different subjects for you in terms of triggers, uh, emotional triggers. So... A few weeks ago, we said, how are you going with your fear? How's everyone doing with that? Like, starting to focus on dealing with some of those fears or you're still confronting them? What fear? And I go, I haven't got any fear. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, hopefully, what tomorrow's subject will be, will be focusing a little more on how to help you with your fears. Um, so, tomorrow's subject is fears, emotions and false beliefs. And what I want to do tomorrow is demonstrate the linkage that we have inside of us, in our soul, between the false belief 
that we actually hold on to and the emotional reason why we hold on to it. And so hopefully it will help you actually identify some of your fears. If you're struggling to identify your fears, all you need to do is look at your false beliefs and you'll soon find your fears. And so it's a way of discovering some of your fears and working your way through them. So that'll be tomorrow. But today's subject, as I said, was, is relationship with God, humility. So what I'd like to do first is just have a few reminders about how God's love flows into your soul. So you remember how God's love flows? So here's God. All right. Here's your soul. Your little soul is getting round now. It's not the oblong shape anymore. The soul. That's me. That's my true self. All right, so how does God's love flow into our soul again? It's through this connector that happens, isn't it? So that connector is called the Holy Spirit. Now that connector, if, you, if, if you're a spirit, you see that, that connector. That connector is like an energetic connection between God and yourself. And it's a conduit. It's not a person. It's a conduit for love. And so when that connection occurs... The divine love, God's love, can flow through to your soul. But there are three primary requisites of the divine love flowing into your soul. What are they? For what? Okay, so first thing is a longing or a desire for God's love. Now... Many of us have um, not too much trouble with that concept that we need to long for divine love to receive it. And uh, a lot of people, though, have this assumption that they're receiving it even though they're not longing for it. And that's not a truth. But, but once we start understanding the importance of longing for love, like inside of us, and when you think about it, it's a bit like a relationship, isn't it? Whenever you... In a, in a relationship, if you long for the other person's love, don't you? You long for them to, to love you when you're in that relationship and you long to give them your love. So there's a, a, a common thing that gets set up in terms of desire. So most of us have not too much trouble with that longing for divine love, with the exception of those of us who have a bit of or a lot of unworthiness to deal with. Then obviously we feel unworthy to long for love and then that, that's one of the impediments that we have on the, in that level. The second thing, though, is what? <coughs> Longing for divine truth, right? Now, that's a, a lot more difficult for most people. Longing for God's truth. Now, why is that so difficult? Because most of the time, we are heavily emotionally invested in our own error. In other words, we want to believe that our error is true. So we're heavily emotionally invested. When we're heavily emotionally invested, what do we finish up doing? We start disallowing truth from entering our soul. And tomorrow we'll talk about that, how we go through this process of stopping truth from entering our soul. We also, whenever I've had a talk about divine truth and the qualities of divine truth, many of you have become very, very upset with the talk. And I don't know if you've noticed that, 
whenever we start talking about the importance of truth in your life right across the board, what happens is many of us get really upset and angry. Now that's a very good indication that we're still not understanding the aspects of divine truth, the importance of actually seeking truth. So you can see here that here we're having a longing or a desire for God's love. Here we're having a longing or a seeking for divine truth. We want to know what God's truth is no matter how much our life is going to change. Even if every single person in our life leaves our life, we will still have a longing for God's truth. Because when we have a longing for God, our longing for God finishes up taking us over in a way. And what it happens is that it, this desire that we have within our soul takes us over so much that it's the most important thing in our life. And I'm not talking about a religious thing here. I'm talking about a personal relationship with God. That becomes the most important thing in my life. And I am perfectly okay with losing every friend, every family member, my job, my home, everything just for that relationship. That's how much desire we need to have for truth. Now, the truth is that oftentimes we don't lose those things. It just depends on our law of attraction and what kind of emotions we have to work through as to what we lose. But in the end, we may have to lose those things because other people around us may judge us, criticise us, condemn us for what we do and all those kind of things. And many of you have already seen that happening in your own life, haven't you? Where, you know... Somebody says, oh, you know, this is all getting to look like a cult and whatever else. And then what happens then is then you start feeling doubts and all these different things start coming up for you. And then you start reconnecting with God because this is what it's about. It's not about you and me connecting together, although that's part of what will happen. But it's actually about God connecting with you and you connecting with God directly without, without anybody else being around. That's what it's about. And longing for divine truth is a very essential part of that. But the third part is the part that everyone finds the most difficult. And that is humility. So many of us will come to admit to ourselves, yes, obviously God does love. And God, therefore, must have the highest amount of love, logically speaking. Even if we look at intellectually, God must have the highest amount of love. If all love came from God, then they, and it doesn't matter how much love I have, it's going to be a subset of what God had. And if we add us all together, no matter how much love we can generate all together, we're still going to have less love than what God has because God's infinite in love. So, therefore, uh, we have no trouble with the love part generally. Often we start having trouble with the truth part because we, we want our truth to be divine truth. We want God to come to our point of view. Uh, can you see that happening sometimes in your life? How many times have you been angry so far with God on this path? Now, if you're honest with yourself and, and, and if you do with some of your emotions, you'll find that you've been angry with God quite a lot, right? Because you think... Because quite often what we're doing is we're saying, why has God made it so hard is one of the questions that we have, right? Well, the truth is God never made it hard at all. God made it simple. A child can do this. By the time we get to an adult, we're finding it hard because we've lost all of those skills of the child, which is to feel its emotion as it goes, to automatically be humble about truth. Do you, a child comes along and says to you, Daddy or Mummy, 
how did the stars get created? And you, you look up the heavens and you can say, well, you know, there was a great big animal, you know, dragon a long time ago. And what he did is he dropped a heap of, you know, he had a heap of fire coming out of his mouth and he dropped a heap of fireballs and they became the stars. Now, your child will believe that at that point. Why? Because the child is so humble that it doesn't question what it's getting at. Now, later in its life, it will look back and then say, well, that's obviously not right. <laughs> Dad or Mum had problems with that one. But... But initially, they believe pretty much anything is coming to them. Now, the beauty of that from God's perspective is God is always going to give us truth. So if we're in a child state and we're emotionally open and accepting, divine truth is just going to flow into us like a pipe, you know, pumping out water. That's how it's going to be when we're little. But by the time we're grown up, what's happened? We've all become jaded. We've all become like... Feeling, feeling very much like, you know, you can't trust anything on this planet. You can't trust anybody's motives. You can't trust any, what anybody's going to do with the truth that I tell them about me and so on and so on, right? And we become so mistrusting that we can't accept any truth, actually, and we, because these emotions, all these emotions inside of us are blocking the truth from coming into my life emotionally. The way to open all that up is humility, and uh, that's why humility is so important. Now, what have I been defining as humility to you? So, sincere and passionate desire and longing to experience all of your own emotions, no matter whether they are painful or pleasurable. Now, you know, when it comes to the pleasurable ones, many of us have no troubles with those, right? But when it comes to the painful ones, now most of us are having a lot of difficulty. So that's one of the things. That's one aspect of humility. Now, I've been saying that to you because that is probably the most important aspect of humility. But today what I'd like to do is discuss with you other aspects of humility as well. The second one I'd like to discuss with you is humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. And I'd put in brackets, warts and all. all right. So quite often uh, when we go up and look in a mirror, um, and historically, of course, like if you're a lady, you might go up and look in a mirror and see a few blemishes, and what do you finish up doing with them if you're going out to dinner or something? You know, you paint them over, don't you? like many times. And this is what we're so used to doing in our personal life. We're so used to painting over our blemishes so nobody else can see them. We sort of hold them really tight to us. And in fact, in the end, we don't even want to see them. And so we finish up living a life where not even our, we ourselves are seeing our own blemishes. Now, if we want to become close to God, and this aspect of humility is this aspect of actually seeing ourselves as God sees us, then I'm going to have to see everything that God sees. Now, frankly, there's a whole lot of very truthful and pure things that God sees within your soul. And by the way, that's even in the worst of what we would call evil souls. Right? Of all the people who are evil, even God can still see the parts that God created in their soul. Often we can't, can we? You look at a murderer who's just murdered and raped 25 people, 
Like, how many of you ladies would have difficulty looking at that person's soul and actually having something in them that, they, that you might find attractive? That would be really hard, wouldn't it? And even for the men, it would be hard too. But the, the issue often is that we are so focused on what's external and so focused on the actions of a person that we can't see the good inside of a person many times. Particularly if that person has personally harmed us in their own life. Right? But then there's this other aspect and that is seeing all the warts, you know, seeing all the ugly bits of ourselves. God sees them too. Now to God, they are not really a part of yourself. Does that make sense? So all these good bits that God can see, God knows God created them and God created them as a permanent part of yourself that you can grow through your own desire. But all of these, let's define them as bad bits that we judge as bad bits inside of ourselves, this whole group of bad bits. What happens with those is God sees them and, and God knows that one day you won't have them. One day, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're on the divine love path or not, one day you won't have them. The day will depend on your longing and desire. The day, in terms of how long in the future that is going to be, will be totally dependent upon how much you desire that state to be. So if I don't desire it at all and I take no notice at all about my soul and I take no notice about what's going on in my life and I don't take any notice of my law of attraction, I might take thousands of years to get to that point where those, what we would call evil or badness within us, is all gone. But if I have a really strong longing and desire to be my pristine self, and I have a really strong longing and desire for God's love and a really strong longing and desire for God's truth. And when I say really strong, I'm saying it's going to be the thing that is the most important thing in your life. Once that happens, very rapidly you can get to a point where none of those, that damage that has happened to your soul is there in inside of it anymore. But the... But the way to get there is via this quality of humility. Does that make sense? Now, every time we have a tendency to look at ourselves, we either do one of two things generally. What we do generally is we either start to judge ourselves very negatively which is actually going to be quite damaging to us in our own progression towards God. Or we judge ourselves as if we've got no problems. And that also is going to be very damaging in our relationship with God. Can you see? We go from one polar opposites, really, one to the other, don't we? We swing around from one place to the other place when it comes to humility. And to be frank with you, judging yourself really as really bad is just as much of a lack of humility as judging yourself as if you're really good with no problems is. Does that make sense? Can you see why? Because both are not God's, what God sees in you. And if we look at the point of view of the second point that I'm raising, which is the point of humility being 
that God sees us completely as we are and we need to come and see ourselves the same way that God sees us, if I can keep that in mind, then that's going to help me a lot to become humble. Now, what's another definition of humility? Is it humiliation? No. So a lot of times when we hear the word humility, we have these negative connotations to it because we think it means that we're going to be degraded. But God doesn't want to degrade you. God wants you to be the best you can be. Also, humility isn't sort of like a false thing, like a false representation of how I really am. In the first century, um, you, used to, you used to be walking down the street, right? And on the corner, there'd be a Pharisee. And he'd be kneeling on the ground, tears rolling down his face, with his eyes directed heavenward, praying to God out loud so that everyone could hear him on the street corner. That's what they used to do. And everyone used to like honour them as a result of that. Now that's what I call a false humility where we're trying to make out that we're humble when really we're not. Does that make sense? And we're doing it for some other reason. In the Pharisees' cases, what they were doing it for was for glory. They wanted other people to look up to them and they thought this was one way they could achieve it. Now, when you reflect that today, to today, many of us do the same when you think about it. How many things do we do because somebody else will think we're good doing it? Right? We've got to give up all of that as well if we're humble. We'll give up all of that. We'll give up defining ourselves through other people's eyes. So in the end, when you progress on the divine love path, you may finish up having no friends for a period of time. Trust me, it won't be a very long period, but you will have it. Right? Now, now why does that happen? Because all of the old friends don't get you anymore. Right? They're saying, well, why did... What are you talking about? You want to connect to God? God doesn't even exist. What are you trying to do? You know, like what, what was that book uh, we read recently? Uh, read about recently? Richard, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. God doesn't exist. God is a delusion of your own mind. So you get a lot of your friends saying that, right? Or you get a lot of your friends projecting it, you know, at you that you should be part of their religion or their faith or whatever it is, and and so you get this interaction that, that sets up of emotions where you get condemned for, for the path you take. So that might happen for a period of time. And are you prepared for that? If you're humble, you are prepared emotionally to experience everything. And that, if that means experiencing what it feels like to have no friends, that's one of the things you'll be humble enough to experience. And then you have your family coming along, right? Right? Now, it's great when your family is on the same path as you, but often that doesn't happen at all, right? Often what happens is the first member of the family has the most difficult time, whoever discovers the divine love path. So what happens when the first member of a family discovers it? Everyone in the family, you know, they get out all the literature about cults, you know, and they hammer you with that. And then they get all the literature about you know, emotions and intellect, and then they hammer you with that. And then they get all the literature out... And you've got a lovely library in the end of all of these different fears that you can deal with. But, but the truth is that most of the time, 
All they're trying to do is keep you in the same emotional space that you've always been in. Now, on the divine love path, you are an ever-expanding soul. So this soul, remember, what is it full of? Emotions, passions, desires, longings, right? Now, what's going to happen with that soul is it's going to expand. How does, it, how does a soul expand? You know the only way a soul expands? By being overwhelmed. By being overwhelmed. Well, you think about it. If you're merrily potted along and nothing really phases you, is your soul changing? Not really, is it? It's when something challenges you and pushes you to another level. That's now when, when change has occurred. Now, your soul on the divine love path is going to be an ever-expanding, have ever-expanding emotional capacity. Matt, do you want to, if we have a question just behind? How you going? Sorry, I missed you yesterday. I just wonder why your family members can put out so much resistance to you changing, even if you're looking better and so on. Where, where did all of your emotions that you're dealing with come from? Yeah, from mostly your environment, and your environment is mostly your family. So, so whenever they see you make a change, there's a feeling change inside of you, right? And as soon as that feeling change happens, your family feels that change. You don't have to say a word. They're now feeling something different from you. They're now no longer feeling you're the same Matt. And with, how many of you have had that said to you? You're not the same person anymore. Right, lots of you, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Right? But for some reason, when it comes to your family, it's not wonderful, is it? Like, the reason why is because your family have the emotional the set, set. They have a certain emotional set. That's your environment. And you grew up in that environment. And now somebody who grew up in that environment is challenging that environment. Of course, the first person who does it is going to get the most pressure. And that's what happens. The first person in any family who's doing on the divine love path gets the most pressure to get off it. Now, of course, after a while, they may, you may work through different emotions and then they may notice, well, you're actually happier now. And many of you don't feel this is possible still, do you? Because <laughs> you're still miserable, right? But anyway, many of you feel you'll get to a point where they're happier now where they'll notice changes in you. They'll notice even changes like, oh, you no longer, um, you, you know, your law of attraction is changing, for example. You know, all of a sudden, things that you weren't doing before seem to be rapidly changing now in your life. And they'll notice that. And then what will happen is they'll start asking questions. But up until that point, they hammer you to bits. Like, that's what it feels like. And we need to be humble enough to take it in the end. Dennis? Uh, when my sister writes to me, she always asks me if I'm better now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you, once you started connecting with some of these emotions inside of you, that, let's face it, have been there all your life, right? Um, how many of you now get these condescending comments given to you? Like, are you better now? Oh, are you still doing that? Are you still, are you still feeling that? My mother says that to me quite often, although she stopped recently, very recently doing that to me. 
She's saying, oh, how's your emotional processing going? That's what she says now. <laughs> what she said before was, I don't see how this is helping you at all. I don't see... Well, of course you don't see because you don't see me, but anyway. <laughs> um, but, but the truth is th they don't notice until you're well and truly on your way. And, and in fact, many of you will not get to the place where you're relatively happy for some time after you start. Now, the reason why that is is because starting is the hardest. And in starting, what's happening is we're, we're chipping away at all of our emotional blockages. Right? And some of our emotional blockages are intense, like really huge, that we don't even notice, but they're really big emotional blockages within us. And what we need to do is allow ourselves to chip away, chip away at these emotional blockages. And our emotional blockages are this castle that prevent us from being humble, prevent us from feeling all of our emotions as they occur. Now, as we're chipping away at this castle, we're really chipping away at my family's castle. Now, families are not too impressed with that because I've spent years, generations in fact, developing that castle, right? whatever the castle is. And so when we start chipping away at it, it's like we're committing the worst crime possible against the family. And so that's why we get a lot of attack generally and a, and a lot of pressure to give it up. And the pressure always comes the most when you are potentially in the most doubt which is always in the beginning of anything, isn't it? So if you start playing a piano, let's say you've never played the piano before and you start playing, the first time you start playing, it's like ding, 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 like, you know, it's really quite basic, isn't it? And you're trying to read the music and know where the note is on the, on the piano keyboard. Now, if someone comes along right then and there and says to you, you know, you're really useless at that, aren't you? You're always going to be useless at that. Don't you think that you should give it up now? All right. Now, that's, that's the worst possible time to say that, isn't it? Because you just have a fledgling desire that's just beginning and then you get all this pressure and the emotional pressure often is so great and connects with certain emotions within us of unworthiness or that I'm never going to be able to get it or these other emotions that are within us. And so what happens then? We just give up then and there. That's what happens on the divine love path for many as well. So there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people on earth right at this moment who have received information about the divine love path. But there's not thousands of people who are doing it. And why is that? Because many of them had that initial honeymoon period, you know, the first four weeks where everything sounds really good. Remember that period? <laughs> for many of you, you remember that? That was way back then, remember that? And then there's this period where we're chipping away at the emotional blockages, coming up, remember, to that cliff point, you know, the point of jumping off into, into God-reliance, right? Now, that's a pretty stressful period. Not only is it a stressful period, it's the time when my humility is going to be tested to the max. It's the time when my desire for truth is going to be tested to the max. Right? Once I get over that period and into, you know, full into God-reliance, right? Once I'm into that space, what happens then? What happens then is I start enjoying the process. So if you're not yet really enjoying the process, then that's telling you where you are in the process, if that makes sense. Right? 
Now, when we step into full humility, that's also the time when you'll step into really starting to enjoy the process, having a real strong longing for truth. See, some, often, quite often somebody, some people come up and talk to me and they say, oh, AJ, I've got this particular problem. Could you tell me a bit about it? So I, so I tell them a bit about it. Many of this has happened to you. So. And then there's initial reactions. No, I don't agree with that. That's not true. Like, how, how dare he say that? Like I get, and then I get over the next week usually a few emails from you. Right? This has happened for many of you. A few emails, you know. I didn't agree with that. That was wrong. I don't see how you could say that. Da, 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 da. And, then, and then I say a few things back or whatever. But can you see how initially it's very, very hard for us to just accept like a child what's being said to us and then allow the emotion that gets triggered by what's being said to us to come up. And instead what we want to do most of the time is we want to fight the process. So today what we want to do is talk a lot more about this, about this humility. It is the most, the single most important quality aside from longing for God's love and truth, it is the single most important quality you will need on your own progression. Humility. So, you know, we can have all these fascinating conversations about spirits and how they interact with you and we can even do some mediumship and isn't it wonderful? We can even do like all these different laws and some of the laws are really, you know, really like quite fascinating to find out about and we can discuss about all of those things and and we can talk to all these different people about it, these wonderful metaphysical things that occur. But to be frank, all of those things mean nothing except for when, compared to these three things. And humility is where you are blocking God. Right? Here is where you're desiring God, firstly her love and secondly her truth. The lack of humility is where we're blocking God. And it's that area that we have the most difficulty with. All right. So let's focus. It's a new whiteboard, so it's going to take a little while to get into. They always have a film over them that's... Hard to rub off. So let's focus on this humility. Okay. So the first thing we need to remember about humility is it is a passionate desire and longing to feel and experience all of my own emotions. So what questions can I ask myself about that? Whenever I get an emotion triggered inside of me, what do I do with it? Do I, firstly, project it at somebody else? Do you know what I mean by that? So let's say something comes up in me. I get hurt by somebody. Um, hurt could even be by me. Like you get hurt by me. You feel hurt from what I've said or done. Right? What do I do with that? Well, what I will do is if, if I'm not humble is I'll instantly get angry with the person. So that's a good indicator. How often am I angry? If I'm angry quite a lot, 
then that's a good indicator that I'm yet to actually fully choose to be humble. Now, I'm not saying to not feel the anger because you do need to feel the anger. So please don't think that I'm saying if you're angry, you're bad or naughty. What I'm saying is anger is an indication that I'm not being humble. Now, to be frank with you, anger with God is the biggest indication that you're not being humble. All right? So you know those times when we have a good yell session at God, you know, like that we're sick of one of God's laws, let's say the law of attraction, and, uh, and we, just to- we totally don't want that law at all. Why did he create that law? It's cruel, it's bad, it's this, it's that, and we go on and on and on about it, and what we're really doing is just yelling at God and we want God to change her plans. And do you think God's going to do that? Like, well, God hasn't for a long time, so I don't think God's going to. <laughs> and particularly for you, if she's got to play it, change it for you, then it means she's got to change it for everybody. And that's not going to be very helpful for your long-term development. So a lot of times we have a lot of anger and rage. So let's, cap ang- let's look at anger. Anger is annoyance, slight frustration, irritation. Then it goes into anger. Then it goes into rage. And then it goes into hatred. So what, what would you define hatred to be? For me, hatred is when you desire to destroy something. Right. So it could be a person or it could be a thing even, but that's hatred. So anger has this huge slice of emotions involved with it. But all of those emotions are indicating that we're not actually being humble in our relationship with God. So if you find yourself frequently getting upset or annoyed with others, then that's a very good indication that you are not being humble. You are not owning your own emotional feelings, your real core emotional feelings. Now, some of the core feelings are like very difficult to feel, aren't they? Like, for instance, if you have been hurt when you're a little child and, and, and abused and you don't understand why you've been abused or hurt, then that's going to be a hard emotion, isn't it, to work your way through. And there's also some emotions like most of us have grown up in our family castle believing that the family loves us, right? Trust me, you'll really see when somebody loves you if you don't do what they want. Then you'll really see if they love you. And the majority of times what happens in that situation for us, they get angry with us when we don't do what they want. That's an indication that they don't love us, by the way. Right? See, a lot of times what we're doing is we're, we're telling ourselves these messages about love that we want to believe so that we don't have to feel what it feels like to feel the opposite thing. And this is one of the things we do with a lack of humility. In other words, I don't want to feel that mum and dad didn't love me, and so what I do is I construct this whole world where I believe they loved me. And if somebody says, ah, oh, and, you, and you hear it all the time. I was talking with Anna this morning, and Anna, you actually said something to me to, in, this, in this interaction that we had, where... You were trying to make me believe that Mary's parents were loving Mary even though, or Mary's brother was loving Mary even though he was in a rage with her. And the truth is he doesn't in that state. 
You see, it's like, and, but we, we're told the family, the family truth, not God's truth. We're told the family truth. The family truth is the family always is going to care for you, always is going to love you, always is going to stick by you as long as you toe the line. Right? That's the family truth. God's truth is, I'm going to stick by you. This is God speaking to you now. I'm going to stick by you no matter what you choose. That's God's truth. You can even choose to hate my guts. This is God's truth. But I will still love you. That's God's truth. You might not feel my love in a state of hatred, but God will still love you in that state. And does God get angry with you? Well, most of us believe he does, you see, because all of our life we grew up with our family getting angry with me whenever I did anything that was outside of their boundaries. And so I grow up feeling from these two parents that love is punishment, love is anger, love is rage, love is... I have all these definitions of what love is inside of me and so I then attribute all of them to God, right? But all of those things are caused by me being humble. Because if I was humble, I would go into my emotion. When you were three or four or five and you got a belting, in that moment, did you feel loved? Mum's there, like mum or dad's there saying, the Bible says I've got to, you know, spoil, what is it? Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's right. Terrible that I've forgotten those things. And, and, And so what do they do? They're smacking you and saying, I don't really want to do this to you. But God says, I've got to. What are you just getting told? God's a punishing God who's going to inflict pain on you whenever you get anything wrong. This is why many of you are so afraid to progress. Because you're so afraid of doing anything wrong. Does that make sense? Because what happened when you were a child? Whenever you did anything wrong, you got pain. So now you have mistake, pain. Mistakes equal pain. So what do any of us finish up doing then? We don't want to make mistakes, do we? Because we know there's going to be pain. So we do one of two things. One of the first things we do is we give up doing anything. So in other words, we don't take any responsibility for anything in our life because if I get it wrong, then someone's going to punish me for it. Or I just go and do my own thing and blow the consequences, which is also not a very uh, very loving, self-loving thing to do. Because there is always consequences with God's laws too. So we finish up through this aspect of not feeling the truth. The truth of that particular example that I gave is mum and dad were not loving me when they were punishing me or getting angry with me or in a rage with me or any of those other states. And by the way, every time you as a parent right now, if you're a parent, are doing those things, you are not loving your child. And you this is one of the reasons why we get resistive with humility too. Because we recognise that, oh, what I'm crying about with my mum and dad, I've done hundreds of times with my own child. Right? And so we don't want to come face to face with the personal feelings about how we've damaged others. And so what we then do is maintain the fiction that what we're doing is loving when it's actually not. Can you see that? instead it would be better for us to face the fact that what I'm doing is not loving and what my mum and dad is doing is not loving and the generations before them what they did weren't loving and we've all got to grow up and start to be loving 
That would be a more powerful thing to do. But we often don't do that. So anger is a really good indication that we're really folding down and shutting down our connection with God. You see, when we're humble, we don't get into anger very much, if at all. When you're at one with God, you won't even get into anger at all. But before you're at one with God, if you get angry frequently, it means that you're still in a state of resistance. All right? And instead of focusing on and pu trying to punish yourself, which is actually worse, it's going to make the situation worse, it's far better to talk to God about why you're so resistant. And remember we said the other week that anger is always covering over fear. So there's some fears that you are not facing when you're in an angry state and, that, and you need to start talking or looking at them. <coughs> All right, so for any of you who feel that you don't have fears, do you have anger? Well, if you have anger, then that indicates you actually have quite a lot of fears, but you're just covering them over with anger. See? Okay. Yes? Right up. Is it possible that there's another step to that, that some people feel so unworthy that they can't even get to the anger stage? Uh, yes, that, that, that is a potential issue in that a lot of us actually don't allow anger because we, we, we feel so unworthy to even have anger. So, and I've personally been in that state, Carol, so where, where I've had so much unworthiness, somebody treats me badly and I just think that that's what I deserved. So I didn't even get angry. But that's still a self-delusion and it's also a denial of the truth inside of yourself. So what I had to do myself is go into the pain of getting treated in that way and allow myself to feel the hurt. Many times what we do is somebody treats us badly, what we do instead is we justify their treatment of us. So, oh, they treated me badly because I did the wrong thing. Or they treated me badly because I confronted them with truth. Or they treated me badly because whatever. And as soon as we do that, we're actually getting out of the emotion that we feel, which is a hurt emotion inside of ourselves. Does that make sense? Yep. And Kim, thanks. I'm just thinking of judgment, being judgmental. Yep. And wondering if ju um, being judgmental is, in a sense, a projection and an avoidance because of the feelings we have when we're humble or um, it's a scapegoat. To, it's, in effect, a projection outwards. Of, yep. Yeah, I'm going to actually... An, an opposite of humility. Yep, yeah. I, it is the opposite of humility, but we have to define judgment in its proper term as well because a lot of people say judgment is one thing when... It, when you know, a lot of people say... Uh, that telling the truth to somebody is a judgment, for example. And that's not, that's actually an act of love and that's not a judgment. The judgment is, and we talk about this later in the outline actually, but the judgment is an emotion projected at the person that they're lower than ourselves or an emotion projected at ourselves that we're the lower than someone else, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, so we can be self-judgmental or we can be judgmental of others and both of those are avoidance of really, really deep emotional pain in both cases. And both of those can exist in the same person. At the we same time, the same, yeah. on different subjects or even mm. on the same subject sometimes. Mm. Yeah, dead right. And in fact, many times we judge in others 
as lower than us when in reality we have exactly that emotion within ourselves. Many of you have seen the uh, movie American Beauty? Do you remember the Kevin Spacey character? I forget his name now. Um, in the movie, but uh, he, remember, remember he was working out and next, his next-door neighbour was a male. You remember the next-door neighbour? The next-door neighbour was a male who had homophobic tendencies. Do you remember that? And, and the whole sequence of events that occurred through the movie were actually about that man's judgement of his own condition then being projected on others. Yeah. And that's what happens with judgment a lot. But judgment is certainly a lack of humility. In fact, I'll be giving a talk, a four-hour talk on judgment uh, coming up in the future because it is such a terrible emotion to actually dump on other people and it's also a terrible emotion to dump on yourself. It actually doubles up all of your own personal processing. So it actually makes every single personal emotion that you're going to need to work twice as hard. But it also does the same when you do it to others it actually creates more of a burden or baggage on the other person about them dealing with their emotion. So, for instance, if you, if you come up and said to me, oh, and quite a number of you, by the way, have come up and said this, oh, when I was a bit younger, um, I aborted a child. And you've heard that I've said in one of these sessions that actually doing that is an act of murder. Right? Now, that's not a judgment, by the way, what it, my, my saying that. That's just a statement of truth. But what a lot of people do, they come up to me and they say that and then they're surprised that I give them a hug and then ask them to deal with what was the emotion. What was the emotion that caused you to do that? Because most people are actually expecting that the statement of truth will then result in a judgment that the person is lesser. Does that make sense? And this is something that we've got to stop doing inside of ourselves. If we, and when we become humble, we will stop doing this. Often what we do is we inside of ourselves take a statement of truth and because of our own suppression of our own emotion, we then judge, we take that statement of truth as if it is a judgment of ourselves. Now, many of you have done that when you first met me, right, about lots of different subjects that I've brought up. And you don't need to do that. You see, truth is just truth. Judgments are to do with now putting yourself or another person as lower than you. And that's actually an untruth. Right? So you can say the truth of what happened in your life. You can say, oh, you know, when I was young I was really promiscuous and I actually took a lot of drugs and, and I was a prostitute for a while and then I must have probably had sex with a thousand people. I don't know. I don't even know how many people. I now, for most people, though, if somebody said that to them, there'd be judgment starting to come from them, right? right? But they're just stating the truth and there's just emotions in all of that and they're just as loved by God as you are even if you hadn't done any of those things. Right? So, so why do we judge it? We judge it because of all sorts of emotional things going on within ourselves and that's what we need to do. If we humble, if we're humble, we won't get into judgment. Dave, down the front, thanks. If we judge the, um, the, the actions rather than the person, is that any much better? 
No, no it's no, no better, really. We can state the truth about the actions. Does that make sense? So let's state the truth. If I get angry with you, right, and I start yelling at you, am I being loving to you? So you can say to me, AJ, you're not being loving now. That's the truth. Does that make sense? But if you went down one step further and you said, you're lesser than me, or you had a projection of an emotion saying, yeah, boy, you look at him, he's angry, isn't he an idiot? That kind of thing coming from you, then straight away you're now in judgment of me. And that means that you've just committed a sin, if you like, or a disharmonious action, a action disharmonious with love by being in judgment of me. So it's really important to see that the judgment is actually an emotion towards the person. It's not just a statement of truth. Yeah. So we're, we're allowed to state the truth and in fact, God desires for us to always state truth. All the time. Now, you, you notice you get in a lot of trouble when you start doing that, but it's a very important place to be in, is to always state the truth. I'm finding that when you do state truth, even when you're trying not to project judgment, people are feeling judged from what you're saying. Very much so. And that's one of the reasons why we stop saying the truth. But as soon as we stop saying the truth, we actually close down our throat chakra and we'll start causing all sorts of physical harm to our own body. Right? So the way God made your body, even, was that it must say truth. When it, when it gets shut down, either by your own choice or by somebody else's actions and then you responding to those actions, when it gets shut down, your own body enters a state of harm towards itself when you shut down truth. But you're right. When you say truth to people, most people take it as a judgment. Now why is that? Because they have their emotional filter on. Right? Their emotional filter is like, it might be, you might say to me, oh, you're angry, and I might say, I'm not angry, I'm not angry. Right? I've got my emotional filter on in that I'm already denying some stuff within me right? and, I want to, and I want to stop you from saying, exposing my emotional truth in that state. Does that make sense? And all I'm doing is projecting back at you the anger that you're saying that I don't have, that, that you're saying I have and I'm saying you don't, I don't have. And in most cases that's what's happening is that we often when we say truth, get a projection back because the person has entered a state of judgment themselves of that truth. Does that make sense? And this is something that happens very frequently and it's something, by the way, if you want to live in truth, which remember was the second important thing that we have to do in our relationship with God, if we want to live in truth, we're going to have to weather that storm initially. If we have the mic because uh, otherwise it doesn't get recorded. So even when you know a person is feeling judged yes. and you are still sharing that truth with them and saying, well, no, this is how it really is, yes. we're not actually being unloving no. by stating that truth, even though they feel you don't love them very much at that moment. Exactly. You are actually being the most loving you could be to them compared to before. Is there anything you can do or say that will alleviate their feeling of being judged. Yes, you can remind them that you love them <laughs> even though you're stating this truth. And of course, it depends a lot on your feelings and emotions coming from you. 
So if you're saying a truth to a person and you're really saying it just to make them feel terrible about themselves, are you judging them then? Of course you are. If your purpose is to make the other person feel bad or put them down or be condescending to them or any of those purposes, then you are actually out of harmony with love now and they are going to feel that. But if you have a feeling of love coming towards the person you can, and you can, you can stay then in truth, I love you but this is an issue. This is an issue for you. And to be frank with you, I would love you to do the same with me when you notice an issue in me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Exactly the same thing. Be truthful. And so once you enter that and also that, and you continue to treat the person in a loving manner, then of course things change over time. But initially most people will respond negatively to truth because they believe they're being judged. Thank you. Hey, um, what about, can you, like, is there a truth that you can get away with not telling people? Like, do ah. they need to know? <laughs> <laughs> this is a common question, right? Like, if, if it's not going to hurt them... But is that still uh, unharmonious with love? If By you the way, let them know not something? telling the truth always hurts somebody. So the, the way God designed her universe was that when you don't tell the truth, it's always going to hurt somebody. But it hurts them a long time into the future. It doesn't. Does that make sense? Like when we tell the truth, there's a, there, the, when we don't tell the truth, we're actually harming every single person around us. And I'm not. I'm not just saying telling the truth either. By the way. I'm saying when you're not truthful about your emotions with the person, you're actually harming them too. So yeah. even if you think that it could be damaging towards you in the well, immediate... Well, that's the reason why we avoid telling the truth. Yeah. And this is the emotion we have within ourselves about truth. We avoid telling truth because we are afraid of what the person will do to us about that truth. Nina? So, <clears throat> the comment in the Bible, don't cast pearls amongst swine, was that something you said? And if it was, what's that about? Certainly was something I said. Um, what, the, what I was talking about there was a whole different aspect, and that is, let's say you come up and ask me for a truth. Right? And your desire at that particular time is that you want to know the truth then of course it would be right for me to say the truth to you in that per perspective, right? Does that make sense? But then if you went away and you then were really angry about that and you got upset about it and you projected all this rage at me about it and you did all those things with that truth, do you think the next time you come up and ask me for some more truth that you're really in a ready place to receive the truth? So if you've, if you've gone ahead and just projected huge amounts of rage at me for receiving the truth the first time and you're still in that state and you still haven't done anything about that and you haven't, haven't been repented in your actions towards me, in other words, sorry that you did that with me, then, then why would I then give you the truth the second time? Um, need the mic. So in effect, why would you spend the time well, it's, I'm now not being loving to myself if okay. I do that. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. So I will always speak the truth unless it's a situation where speaking it would actually be unloving to myself. 
Now, you've got to be careful here, yeah. right? Because when I say speaking of being unloving to myself, I mean, right, because obviously speaking the truth is all, always, it was always correct. But in this case, what I would say instead is I would say to you, no, you do not want to know the truth about this particular subject. You need to know the truth about repentance. Does that make sense? So I'm still speaking the truth, but not the truth that you want to necessarily hear. So um, can I illustrate that more, perhaps? Because mm. I can feel a bit of that confusion. Yeah. There, it? So here's a person. This person here, this person here, we've got two people. This person here is the truth seeker, shall we say. The truth seeker. And this person here is, let's say, the truth giver, shall we? So the truth seeker comes up to the truth giver and asks for some truth. So the truth giver, because the truth seeker wants to know this truth, tells them the truth. Right? Now this is an emotional transaction, by the way. It's not an intellectual one. So many of you get told truth even when you haven't asked for it yet, but that's because your soul is already asking for it. You follow me? So these are all soul-based transactions. So, so the truth seeker has a longing for truth. The truth giver comes along, tells them some truth. If the truth seeker then gets in an up uproar about the truth they've just received, what are they doing with the truth they've just received? They're not accepting it. Not they're only not just not accepting it, what else are they doing? They're going into denial of what they're really feeling about their own emotions. Yes. What else? They're judging the truth as bad. as wrong, as bad, right? Now, they're actually in a state of re... What are they now doing? They are... Resisting. They're rejecting truth now, right? When you get into a state of anger, you are now rejecting truth. And the projection will be at the truth giver. Like, I'm angry with the truth giver because of what he said or she said, right? Now, when, she's, when this person is in a state of rejecting truth... They then often go through weeks and weeks of, you know, doing this, doing that, going through different emotions, sometimes not. But then they get into usually a state of intellectual denial that they're now in that state of anger. And then they come back wanting to know some more truth. <laughs> right? Now in that state, what's coming from their emotions? They are still in a state of rejecting truth. They are still using their free will. Remember the soul is about free will. They're using their free will to deny truth. Now, in that state, if you give them more truth, all they're going to do is give, give you more anger. So also it's um, unloving to tell the truth to someone who doesn't want it as well. Is that part of that, the meaning well, that, of that? This is, yeah, well, this is, this is part of it. If the person is rejecting the truth already, but then saying to you, I want to know more truth, but their actions and their emotions are that they're in a state of anger about the previous truth that they've been delivered then they no longer want to hear truth anymore. And if I love them, I will honour their free will to not hear truth yeah. and point out to them what they're doing instead. So many, some of you have had that happen in interactions with me where you've come up to me and asked me for something and I've said, actually, you don't want to know. Right? And you say, yes, I do. And I say, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. No, no, you don't. You don't want to know. Because if you knew, you would get angry. Like, when you did know in the past, you got angry. 
right? When somebody was told you, you got angry, so therefore you don't want to know, that's your free will really. See, a lot of times we go up to ask a person a question and you know what we really want from them? We really want some commiseration and consolation. That's really what we want. Yes, you're doing fine. Isn't it wonderful? Right? You don't want to hear, no, I'm sorry, I don't agree that you're, not, <laughs> that you're doing fine. You don't want to hear that, do you, most of the time? So most of the time our desire is actually not even humble. So we're going up saying we have a desire for truth, but in reality all we've got a desire for is to feel good. And we want the other person to tell us, yeah, yeah, I feel good from their comment, you know. Now, a person who's living in truth won't do that with you. When you want them to tell you that you're good, they will actually resist telling you, even if they think that you're good. Because that would be just feeding your emotional error. Now, when I said casting spells before, uh, pearls before swine, what I was talking about was feeding a person's emotional addiction. And you would never do that if you love them. Right? And you will never tell a person more truth when they've just got angry with you for the previous bit of truth that you've given them. Right? And also, with what would happen or happen with the Pharisees is that they'd come up and ask me a question but they'd ask the question because they wanted to catch me out all the time. Does that make sense? So what's the motive for them asking questions? Isn't it, isn't an, it an unloving motive? Right? They, want a mo they have a motive of trying to cause harm to the, other, to the person that, they, that they're attacking, you see. So quite often a truth seeker is not actually a truth seeker in reality, but often a pseudo-truth seeker, a truth seeker in quotation marks, I would put them. In other words, what they're often doing is they come up under the guise of seeking truth, but in reality they have the desire to put you down or treat you condescendingly or be belittling to you or whatever. Now a person who's doing that is not seeking truth and that would also be like casting pearls before swine. You'd have to actually point out to them what they're doing, which of course they're probably going to resist. So in the first century what I would often do is I'd say, I will answer your question as long as you answer first one of my questions. Like one time I remember uh, they come up to ask me about um, some questions about my personal life and I told them that I would answer their questions as long as they asked, answered my question. And my question was, how was it that King David called me his Lord? Which is a, a Bible verse that they knew. And they couldn't answer it one way without getting trapped and they couldn't answer it another way without getting trapped. So in the end they said, oh, we don't know. And I said, well, I don't know the answer to your questions either. <laughs> and, and walked off, right? <laughs> no, I, they knew what I was saying. It was a, do, do you understand? Everything's going on at the soul level. They knew what I was saying to them. I'm saying to them, actually, you'd just done all that with the wrong motive. And I'm saying to you, I'm not going to engage in you in that, with that wrong motive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Carol, thanks. And then... Oh, Mary, you wanted to say something to me? No, it's all over now, is it? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs>
AJ, this is a really interesting point, I think, for a lot of people right now here because, you know, we've, we're in the position to be given this truth and we're on this path, but yeah. I would think that I probably speak for a lot of people here and as much as that we all have friends and family who don't want to be on this path and, you know, you know that I'm pretty game in putting it to people and yep. I do frequently and I get a lot of <laughs> knockbacks but that's fine. But I still have those people as friends and I accept that they don't want to know that truth. So, you know, I have friends that tell me stuff like you have just talked about that they've had abortions and they've been prostitutes and all this. And I recently had this experience and and I said to this person, how do you feel about that? Are you, do you feel like that that's okay? And she said, yeah, that, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. Mm -hmm. So I feel that as a friend, I want to keep her as a friend and I don't feel that, I mean, and I'm speaking for other people here, I feel that it's okay to have my friend and feel compassion that she feels that way um, without judging her for that. Is that... Yeah, I mean, but, but there's, a, there's a part of it that you're skipping over. Yeah. And that is, why don't you want to say what God's truth is about the issue? She, she's clearly told me in the past she doesn't want to know. <laughs> okay, so how do you feel about getting shut down about speaking about God's truth? Um, well, I... I feel that um, I feel that I'm not ready to wipe all my friends out who don't uh, who oh, are I not on this path. You, I never said for you to wipe out your friends, <laughs> but it's interesting where you're going with the yeah, answer. Yeah, it is. Right? I'm, I really want to put this out there because I, I think there's a lot of us want to ask. Weaseling out, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. What, what what's going on inside when I ask that question? Um, it's a it's. I guess it's a feeling that in the past I've had a lot of religious people trying to force their religions onto me and I think yeah. we've all probably felt this and I've felt it anyway. Um, and at the time I've sort of thought, oh, you know, I don't want to hear this. And I feel that I really love this path and it makes so much sense to me. Yeah. But it's, it's the path I want to walk on and I put it to my friends and when they tell me that, no, this is a load of crap, and you're in a, you're in a, you know, you're in a cult. Yeah, <laughs> They're starting to say, "Well, it's obviously working for you, so <laughs> it's okay. We'll let you be in it now." <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they're good people too. You I'm know? not saying they're not, by the way. Yeah, no, no, I know you're not. But I'm just saying that I think a lot of us are in a position where we have good people as friends who are saying that to us that don't want to hear the truth mm -hmm. and see, how do you feel about how, how, how you've got to be very careful friend? Carol about your definition of a friend for a start yeah. um, and this is something that many of us don't want to acknowledge is a person a per being a friend to you when they tell you right that they don't like what you're doing and they don't allow you to say what you feel in particular if they don't allow you to say what you feel so in other words, if I've got to modify myself to be in your company, then what am I actually doing? Can you see that I'm not being unloving to myself? I'm being unloving to myself. Now, now, as soon as I do that, I'm going to harm my own relationship with God. In other words, I'll never become at one with God in that state. So remember at the start of this I said your relationship with God needs to be the most important thing you'll ever do. Now when the relationship with God is the most important thing I'll ever do, I will want firstly to never harm or never do anything myself 
that's going to harm my relationship with God. One of the things that will harm your relationship with God is when you deny yourself and your own emotions. That always harms your relationship with God. Now, if a friend is asking you, and I put a friend in quotation marks, is asking you to deny yourself when you're with that friend, are they being loving to you in that particular situation? My answer is no. Your answer is yes, they could be. My answer is no. Um, I don't think my friends ask me to be any different when I'm in their company, but I'm saying but that when they tell me something... you are when you're in their company. Sorry? What's but that? you are different when they're in their, comp- in their company. You talk about what that friend wants you to talk about and you stay away from the subjects that you would like to talk about but that friend won't allow you to talk about without getting upset with you or rejecting you. And that is an emotion inside of yourself, I agree, that you need to work your way through because in the end what will happen is you will not enter or engage in friendships that cause you to have to do that because you can't love yourself and can keep your connection with God. Oh, sorry, you can't be unloving to yourself and keep your connection with God. Right? So, so in the end, you will not compromise yourself. And what you're being asked to do by your friends without you being really aware of it is you're being asked to compromise yourself when you're in their company. Now, a good friend will not do that to you. You don't ask them to compromise themselves when they're in your company, do you? Like They're still allowed to be a prostitute in your company, aren't they? Mm. They're still allowed to be a drunkard in your company. They're still allowed to drink in your company. They're still allowed to smoke in your company, perhaps. Although smoking is a little different in the sense that if they're blowing it in your face, then there's a love issue there for yourself. But can you see, you don't change, you don't want to change them. You don't want to put, stop them from feeling their emotions. And, an, and it would be an act of, un, it would be an unloving act if you attempted to stop them from feeling their emotions. But why do you then engage with friends who want to stop you from feeling yours? But if a friend tells you something about themselves, not asking you for the truth about what, what you think, they didn't. this friend didn't ask me to tell her what she was just telling me a story. Mm-hmm. I had to really stay out of judgment. I felt I was trying to stay out of judgment on that and yeah, said to I'm her... Not, you, if you love them, you will stay out of judgment, Carol. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about judgment. I'm talking about... There's a burning desire in your heart to say what the truth is about the issue. God's mm. truth, not your own. Mm. And you're not responding to it because you're afraid of what's going to happen to a relationship if you do. And so it's a fear that you have. And any fear is going to prevent your moment with God. So where does that fit with throwing the <laughs> pearls in front of swine? Because if when you know person, they don't want to hear it. If that person doesn't want to hear it and I've told you you don't want to hear it, then what do you do as an act of love to yourself? Why do you remain in the company of people who are shutting you down mm. emotionally? Okay. The only answer is that you don't love yourself enough yet. Mm. Okay. That's the only reason why you would stay in, that, in their company. Okay. So when I'm saying don't throw your spells before swine, what I'm saying is love yourself enough mm. to, to be yourself with everyone around you all the time. And if they're unhappy with that, don't spend time in their company. Yeah. If okay. you're spending time with their company when they sh- shut you down, you're not being loving to yourself. Mm. 
Yeah. Okay. And remember on this path, it's not just about love of God because what God's teaching you to do as you progress towards God is you're coming to love yourself as well. And you see, most of us don't want to give up the areas or the addictions we have about how we define love of self. So most of the time, most of us feel that we're loving to ourselves when everybody else wants to be loving to us. So in other words, as long as I've got 50 friends all being loving to me, it must mean I'm a good person. It must mean I'm a happy person. It must mean I'm a whatever, you know, whatever we've defined as, you know, good in, in that interaction. The truth is that you can actually have a relationship with God and be completely happy and not need a single other person in your entire life. Now, in that state, you will have hundreds of people in your life, ironically, because you're actually staying in truth and you're staying in love and you're staying in humility and that will actually draw people into your life. But initially, you may have to go through losing current friends and gaining new friends in that process. Now, I'm not saying to reject your friends. What I'm saying is to be very sensitive about when they're rejecting you and causing you to reject yourself and work through the emotions inside of you that cause you to go along with that treatment. Does that make sense? And that's a whole group of emotions about love of self that we need to allow ourselves to focus on. Dennis, and then maybe across there. Um, if you keep your hand up so that uh, Joy can... Over there, Joy. Thanks. Yeah, I had a recent experience with that with a, with a, a good friend. And he was... Well, I've been really open to, to what he's been saying over the... Over the years, he does all this access work. And he's really open to what I talk to him about, about yep. you and things like that. Yep. And I just find he keeps asking questions all the time. He's, yeah. He wants to know more, yeah. even though he doesn't want to go down the path. He's still, it's still coming from with him. Yeah, yeah. and he's still not judging you for doing no. it. No. And he's not trying to stop you from doing it. No. And he's not trying to stop your emotions when you're interacting with him. No. So, you know, that's a lovely friendship. You both can be on totally separate paths and be in a really good friendship in that state. And I have many friends in the spirit world in particular that are in that state with me where, you know, they're in a six-sphere state or whatever and, and we're friends, but, you know, they allow me to experience my emotions. They just don't feel it's for them. Um, and that's fine. It's when they project at you to stop feeling your emotions in their company, now you're not being loving to yourself by remaining in their company. Can you see that? And unloving to you might be right from condescending right the way through to inner rage. Remember? Like if I'm condescending towards your emotion, am I loving you? No. Whatever that emotion is, I'm not loving you if I'm condescending towards it. If I'm in a rage about you feeling that emotion in, in my company or talking about one of your favourite subjects in my company, do you think I'm loving you then? No. Why would I be in a rage with you experiencing your desire for anything? Right. And so this is what happens a lot is we finish up compromising ourselves on the divine love path so much that we never become at one with God. And you know what we're really doing? We're basically saying that our relationship with our friend is more important to ourselves than our relationship with God. That's really what we're saying. 
Or we're saying that our relationship with our friend is more important to ourselves than our relationship with myself. And that's often what we're doing. We're sacrificing ourselves for those friendships. Now, you can and do have the capacity to be friends with every single person on this planet, even though they are on widely variant paths to you. However, you may not be able to do that and if, if you, if you realise that as soon as you start compromising yourself, you are no longer being a friend to yourself, you may not be able to enter into friendship reactions with those, with those people. So there are many people at the moment who are very, very angry with me, personally angry with me and upset with me. I do not spend time with them. Right? And, and I just say, you're very angry with me and I am not loving to myself if I spend time with you in, that, in, 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 in my personal life. Those people are still... I'm perfectly happy for those people to come along to these groups. Right? And many of them don't, of course, because they're angry with me. But I'm perfectly happy for them to do that. And, I'm perfect, I, and I think of them with love. I feel about them when I feel about them. I miss them. But I'm not going to compromise my love of myself to spend time with them when they are still being unloving towards myself. And that's something to bear in mind. So hopefully that sort of answered that question for you, Carol. Hi. I'm afraid of the truth, big time. Yep. And um, I actually... I reckon join the club. We call it the Afraid of Truth Club, right? (laughs) But I actually push everybody away and I push all my emotions away to the point that I'm actually pushing God away. Right. So when you say, I'll pray to God and, you know, I really am scared of the truth, I'm scared of you, how does he hear me if I'm not feeling my emotion? Well, that's right. He, He can feel you, but you won't feel him if you're not feeling your emotions. So God will still love you, but... You won't feel that love while you're not feeling well, if, while you're shutting down emotionally. Let's look though at the issue of being scared of truth. This is a major impediment to humility. Um, if we allow ourselves to understand that when we're scared of truth, we're actually scared of love, and we're scared of bliss, right? then we can start examining what's underneath it emotionally. So let's look at our beliefs about truth. What do you believe truth is? Why are you so scared of it, in other words? Yeah, uh, Mike, if we can have the mic back there, sorry. Uh, You'll need it on. It's on. Um, Why am I so scared of truth? Yep. Can I say I don't know? (laughs) You do know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so let's start it, again. It's shitty. What, it's what's, pretty what, shitty. Why is it shitty? What happens? Um, what happens when you speak the truth every time? My whole body feels weak. Right, so you go into a state of fear. <laughs> yep. Right, yep. yep. So, so what are you afraid of? What, what are you afraid of? Exposing myself? Why would you... Just have a think about this for a moment, though. Why would you get to a point where you're shaking to say the truth? 
Many of you, I've done this myself, right? Many of you have done this. Why do we get to the point where we're shaking? You know, you sit down, you know you've got to talk about the truth to a friend and you know that it's going to be a hard discussion. You know this, right? And you, you can feel all this anxiety come up in your tummy, right? And, and you start shaking and you see how you're breathing and it takes you weeks and you settle on it for weeks and you're still shaking after weeks and then you go to say the truth and you shake so much you can't say it. Why would that have happened to you? What would have happened when you were young? Punishment. There has to be some kind of huge terror base because it's terror that you're experiencing, right? You have a terror about the truth from your childhood. Right? Now the first thing to do with any terror about any matter is to acknowledge that I am terrified. Right? Is to acknowledge that I am terrified of, in this case, speaking the truth. Now why would you be so terrified? It can only be because there was a lot of pain associated with telling the truth at some point in your childhood. Right? or your parents' childhood, for that matter, right? because it can be multi-generational thing. Now, the only way to actually bring this terror up out of you would be to actually tell the truth and experience bodily the terror while you're doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the way to deal with the emotion, to actually go ahead and tell the truth and actually feel you know, the shaking and the trembling inside and, and breathing... Uh, you know, and, and just and start breathing diaphragmatically, like as you're doing it. You know, that's the only way you can release these terrors is actually to experience them. So allow yourself to do that. So tell the truth and then experience all of the terror that comes up as a result. And when you do that, you'll actually find out what events caused you to feel so much terror. But you won't find out before then. You won't even be able to intellectually go back in your life and say, what would it be, what would it be, what would it be? For most of us, we've got so much terror associated with feeling what it is that we won't have a memory of it at that point. And it's only when we allow ourselves to experience the terror and release some of it that a memory of what it's about will come to us. Does that make sense? Thanks. Thanks, AJ. No worries. Um, Um... I've actually really gone out of my way to keep saying the truth now and like really causing a lot of trouble. <laughs> and how are you finding it? Oh, I'm getting a lot of fear. Okay. And I go into the and I go into the shakes and I really get yeah. into it, but I keep having it every Let, time. Let's I say talk the about truth. your law of attraction with truth. Mo- the majority of you are still afraid of truth. Right? The law of attraction means then that when you speak the truth, something negative will happen to reinforce your fear of truth. Right, And this is something we need to work our way through. Some of you have worked your way through that emotionally. Like, um, where's Peter at the moment? There he is. Pete, you're not very afraid of truth. Like, honestly, you often just go, bleep, 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 bleep. You know. <laughs> and, and what happens around people around Peter generally? Like, oh, they all have a tendency to, oh, listen or not listen, but it doesn't seem to bother Peter much either way. And, and, and a lot of you have heard because of his desire, right? Why is that? Because he's not that afraid of truth. He's afraid of other things, but not afraid of truth. We talked... Um, where's Daniela? 
And no, Peter has other problems with different matters, but not a problem so much with the truth. So, so he has a definitely a problem of, of living in truth with everyone around him. Right? That's a different matter. I'm talking about the divine truth, telling the, telling the divine truth. And so the beauty of that means that whenever he tells the divine truth, a lot of people listen. Because his law of attraction is that he doesn't need to have be triggered all the time about his fear about telling the truth. Does that make sense? And you'll find that when you have that shift emotionally inside of yourself, all of a sudden, a lot of people start listening to you who weren't listening to you before. And it was because you've now dealt with the fear of truth inside of yourself. I was talking this just before to Daniela and where are they? Where are they? Oh, right there, right in front of me. And that's what happened with you about this coming up to Queensland thing, isn't it, really? Like you've never told the truth in your life, you were saying to me, right? So, so and you're the same, eh? You, 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 you'll confirm that he's never told the truth in his life, right? <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Can we have the microphone with it? Do you mind? Um, so what happened was that you both started, like you, you just thought you had to tell the truth about why you came up, didn't you? Yeah, we were looking to come up to Budrum to look for a house and um, <coughs> the people that we're staying with are over here now with us. Yeah. But um, we went into the house and looked around and it all felt really good, but I just watched a video on truth, one of your DVDs. Damn, AJ and his truth thing, eh? And I'm yeah. sitting there and something just didn't feel right. Yeah. And I just had to say, look, the reason we're really up here is because we want to come see AJ. And um, Joyce, who we live with... Um, basically screamed, grabbed her daughter's arm and screamed and went, AJ, where, when? <laughs> and they've been living here for some time, not, yeah. not a long time. So you hadn't come to one of the sessions before, had you? No, right. out of all the houses in Budrum. So yeah. that was my experience of telling the truth and having something. So you felt impelled to tell the truth under that circumstance. It just and blurted you did. out, yeah. yeah. And then w- what happened was that you know now there's other people involved with hearing the truth and so forth. Exactly. Yeah, just from, from your yeah. desire to tell the truth. Yeah. That's a pretty good lesson to remember it for is. a person who's never told the truth in their life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So can you see the importance? Like quite often, you see, we don't trust God very much in the end. Oftentimes when we're in such big fear about truth, we're not trusting God at all. We're not trusting God's laws at all. Don't believe that when we tell the truth, everything will eventually happen for the best. We don't believe that. Do you understand? And because we don't believe that, we then don't tell the truth. And of course, all of our worst nightmares are realised, generally, as a result. So the key is to understand that when you bring your life in harmony with God's laws, then all of God's laws and universe will actually act for your benefit. As soon as you break one of God's laws, now God's laws are acting against you. Can you see the difference? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have God's laws with me and no one else with me than God's laws against me. Right? And that's, that's something that eventually we'll come to a realisation of that. It's in the front of the blue, the front of the blue one. This is it. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jen, thank you. Um, does that then mean that um, coming to know truth because we're in a state of injury is a gradual process as we release... Emotions? Um, coming to know truth is always going to be a gradual state, but 
The decision to live in truth as you know it is, a, is like a realisation process. You'll go through a process of realising how important it is to God and to you and to your relationship with God. And once you go through that process of realising how important truth is, you'll start longing for truth in your life all the time. So you know when you come up to... So many of you still come up to, to me to have a discussion with trepidation in your heart, right, if I could say it that way, because you're worried about what next instalment of truth you're going to get, right? <laughs> now, that is an indication that you're still not yet longing for truth. Does that make sense? And the reason why is there's still some humility issues to work your way through there with that. You see, when we, when we long for truth, we have a strong desire to feel all of our emotions surrounding it. In fact, that helps grow our humility, if you think about it. When I decide to actually keep truth away from me, to repel truth, the only reason why I would ever do that is because I'm afraid of something emotionally. Can you see that? And so what I need to do is instead of being afraid emotionally, I need to look at the emotion. Why am I so afraid of truth? What is it in my childhood that caused me to be so afraid of truth? I need to experience that emotion and release that from me because that's one of my barriers to God. I need to release that feeling that I can avoid the truth. Now, many of you have come up to Mary or myself over the past six months and asked us questions and have gotten an answer that is, and then you've gone ahead and avoided the truth. Right? And many of you have done it because of friendships. Because, you know, let's put you in a scenario. Let's say a friend of yours done something unethical. And you know about it, nobody else knows about it. Why wouldn't you tell the truth? If you're in, a, say, maybe you're in some kind of organisation where, you know, people are wondering who did it, those kind of things. Why wouldn't you tell the truth? The only reason why you wouldn't tell the truth is because you're afraid. And the only reason why you're afraid is because you'd be afraid of your friend's emotional response. But let's go even deeper. You're actually afraid of your response to your friend's emotional response. Does that make sense? That's really what you're afraid of. So if I'm afraid of my own emotion, am I in a state of humility? No, because remember what humility was? It's a passionate desire to feel and experience all of my own emotions, whether it's pleasurable or painful. So if I'm actually taking a step to avoid my emotion, I am not in a state of humility. And remember I said at the beginning of this discussion that when I'm not humble, that is the biggest impediment to my relationship with God. And so what I'm really doing is I'm using my free will to construct the block towards God. I am saying, basically saying to God, like, your, my relationship with you ain't that important. It's not as important as my relationship with Mary. It's not as important as my relationship with James. That's really what I'm saying. I'm saying that my relationship with Mary or James, the people that I'm worried about upsetting, is more important than actually staying in this connection with God. And I'm suggesting to you 
start considering flipping that over. Flipping that over and saying, all right, I want my relationship with God to be the most important thing in my life. And if that's the most important thing in my life, then every other relationship is going to fall second to that relationship that I have with God, right? And that also is going to mean that I am going to need to stay in a state of truth with God at all times, which means feeling my emotions, my really truthful emotions, you know, the warts and all emotions, with God at all times. Now, if I stay in that state, I will progress really rapidly. It, what, what causes us to stagnate on the divine love path is always when we use our will to avoid humility. We use our will to avoid our emotions. If I have an expectation um, that I'm going to be heard or an expectation or an agenda of any kind, does that then dilute the truth? As soon as you have an expectation of being heard, for example, you're, basically that is an addiction. And the addiction being satisfied is always an avoidance of underlying emotional truth. So then do you not, do you not speak the truth? How, how do you no, fix if, if you have an addiction to being heard, always examine your own motives before you speak. So when you speak and you have an addiction to being heard and the person's not hearing you, the law of attraction will be that people won't hear you, right? If you have an addiction to being heard, the law of attraction is going to be that people won't listen to you. And then when you get upset with them for not listening to you, straight away I know, oh, not, not being humble here. I am not feeling this unheard, I'm unheard again emotion, which comes from some kind of childhood experience. Okay, so then how do I find truth if I recognise I come majorly from a place of error? H how, do you, how do you find it? Well, you you've already found it, Jen, so it's an interesting question that you asked. But, <laughs> the, but remember, it's always the three things we've mentioned. If you have a love for God first, more important than anything else, and you have a desire for God's truth more important than your own truth and more important than any other relationship, and you have a desire to feel and experience all of your own emotions at any one time, you will always come to truth, always. Truth will be attracted to you like it. You'll be a magnet for truth. Now, many of us become a magnet for truth, and what do we do? We become so frightened of the whole process... <laughs> Because there's so many emotions, right? There's this emotion coming out, that emotion, and then I have this realisation, and oh, I didn't know I had that problem, and I didn't know I had this problem, and, uh, and before I know it, I'm getting like snowed under what, we, what I feel is, snowed under with all this truth. And then I start not being humble, you see. Remember I said, though, at the beginning about the soul? Remember I said, how does this soul get bigger? Here's the soul. How does it get bigger? By getting overwhelmed. The only way you are going to get bigger in your capacity to experience divine love and bigger in your capacity to experience your desires is by this soul being overwhelmed emotionally with truth. Right? Now that's an interesting way to conceive things, isn't it? You, you actually start being, enjoy being overwhelmed emotionally. Can you see that? Like you start going, wow, this is so good. When I look at last week or last month or last year, 
wow, I can cope with so much more now. Like, I can actually cope with a million spirits projecting rage at me now without falling in a mess. About probably three years ago, I could cope with one person projecting rage at me before I fell in a mess. Because right? I had to release all these different emotions, right? About why that was the case and the feelings of hurt and all that kind of stuff. So now the soul has expanded in its capacity. Does that make sense? And also expands in your capacity to experience love. Um, just to give you an idea where you're headed, because a lot of times we forget where we're headed, right? We had a very interesting experience, or I should say Mary had a very interesting experience this week. I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, but it's about the kangaroos. Yep. Mary started uh, channeling spirits about four weeks ago or so, and, uh, and because she's pretty open to it and obviously had prior experience, um, you know, it's happened pretty rapidly. So the other day Mary was sitting out on our porch. Uh, we've got this little two-bedroom, pretty shack, I suppose you'd call it, um, uh, in, in the middle of nowhere, and there's always roos around us. But they never come up generally close to us. There's a few that do come up relatively close. But they never do, sort of bound up really close to you. What they do is that, you know, you walk outside and they might be a few metres or ten metres away. And depending on your emotions, they'll usually leave, right? Anyway, what happened this day was Mary decided to sit down and do some channeling. So she sat down. The instant she got a connection with some of her celestial friends, one of the, one of the Joes and his mother bounded up to her, right, right up to her, and stood, and stood on the concrete right in front of her and looked at her. And Mary got so shocked that she, she just got out of the, out of the uh, connection, right? And as soon as she got out of the connection, they bounded off. And then Mary decided to get back into the connection again with her, with her spirit guides. And as soon as she did that again, they bounded back up to her right in front of her again. And they stayed there. Right? And then it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, why did they do that? They did that because the love of a celestial spirit is so strong that it's going to attract absolutely every living thing to it. Right? And that's where you're headed. So you'll be able to walk out in the wild with all these afraid animals and they'll actually come up to you because you're in that state. Does that make sense? That's the state of being at one with God. That's, that's what it's like. So it's not about taming them or anything like that because these are wild animals that came up to Mary. They're in, they're in the wild. They're not tamed. They've never been fed or anything like that. And they're, So they're wild animals. Now, I've had the same experience with a bird and I know of some, of, some of you have had similar experiences right? where you've been in the state of connecting with God or you've been in the state of connecting with a celestial spirit and all of a sudden, like, this was one lady I know, that a willy wagtail came and just sat on her shoulder while she stayed in the connection. And then, as she lost the connection, it went away. Now, why that happens is because that's the state, that's what love does in its full expression. It attracts everything. So, so many of us are so worried about where we're headed, you see, 
I'm going to lose all my friends and I lose my family and I lose this and I lose that. And that's because we're going through this transitional phase, right? That's all it's because. Because in the end, you will gain a hundredfold family, friends and many other things too if you continue with firstly your relationship with God. Do you see what I meant when I said those words in the first century? You will gain a hundredfold. You, you will gain so many friends and so much family. and every, You'll wonder what in the hell you were worried about in the first place. You'll think, why was I worried about that one person who just couldn't accept me being myself? You know? You'll look back on it and think, what, what a silly thing to do. Because you will have understood what can be attracted to you. You see, the problem that we have, most of us, the reason why we're not in a state of humility most of the time is because we have very little faith. We don't really think that what's being presented to us is going to happen in reality. And so what we do is we go down this stage of then not wanting to... We reject the emotion of everything because of that. Because we feel inside of ourselves that it's not true. You know, yeah, you know, you know how AJ says about this, within two or three years you'll be at one with God. What a heap of crap, right? Honestly. <laughs> uh, I've tried it. I did it for six months. And after six months, what happened? I was in such a mess emotionally. I was crying every day. I don't know what was going on. All of my friends said I was a weirdo now. And, I, and my family didn't want to speak to me anymore. Some of them wanted to commit me. And, and in the end, like, this is where we go with it, right? We go down this... And in the end, it's dangerous. It's just downright dangerous. Like, and so we start now working our way through a lot of our fears. You know, when I say working our way through, we're not really working our way through them. What we're doing is we're living in them. And we start voicing all of our fears to ourselves. So in the end, I, don't want, I want nothing to do with him anymore. All right? So that's where we go. Now, many of you have actually been in that state for a week or a day at least, right? And, and then you get through that emotion because in the end that's just an emotion too of something we're avoiding, something that we're not being humble about. And we get through that. But many, by the way, don't. As yet, to be frank with you, there has not been one woman on the planet who's yet worked through her fear about truth. I have not yet met one. Now, when I say one woman, there's about three men that I know of who have. And I feel it's got something to do with what happens. Women have this huge capacity to experience emotion, which is your advantage over a man. But, so that's that half of the soul has a huge advantage. But there's one down part side to it, and that is when you're afraid, you think your fear is real. That's the downside. Men have a lot of trouble getting in their emotion, right? You look at them, many of them do, right? But one of their advantages is when they do get in their emotion, they're generally not quite as afraid because they've had less generational, multi-generational fear to deal with. You look at what happened. Who goes to war? The men, up until recently, uh, even though they were afraid. They still went, right? So, so what happened multi-generationally is men often have less, they have less emotional investment in fear 
But the problem is they also have less emotional investment in emotions. So that's their limitation. So many of the men are not allowing their emotions to flow very easily. Many of the women allow their emotions to flow very easily and they get in the swing of the divine truth, get really percolating along and then they hit one of their major fear barriers. And that's when many women stop processing. Right? We'll talk more about this tomorrow. Now, remember, every time you do that, we're just not being humble. You see, if we were humble, we would have a passionate desire to experience every emotion within us, even if that emotion's terror. Okay? Even if it's terror. Now, of course, many men are not being humble too because they're not experiencing their emotion. They're okay with getting through some of their terrors in many cases, but they're not experiencing their emotions. They're still shutting down that. And this is where you start understanding that each half of the soul has its own beautiful parts. And there is a certain beauty to masculinity and a certain beauty to femininity that when the two of us work together, we can work through a lot of things emotionally. All right? So if, the, if we're only in a partnership with a, with a husband and wife or something in a partnership, what the man can bring to the partnership is this feeling that even though he's afraid, he'll still do it. And that's a good thing for both the man and his partner. What the woman can bring to the partnership is emotions are of utmost importance to deal with. I'll show the man how to actually process my emotions at the causal level if he's having trouble with that. And that's what she can bring to the partnership. The problem that we face is that one or both of us finish up living in the state. So the man finishes up living in his denial of emotion, so he goes into his intellect and starts shutting down his emotion quite a lot. And of course that makes the woman really upset, doesn't it, generally, because you want a nice connected man and now what you've got is some kind of man that just lives in his intellect and sort of seems a bit like a zombie half the time. But anyway, <laughs> and then and on the woman's side, like she can bring this, uh, the, sorry, the man's side, he can bring this really beautiful quality of not being afraid of his fear because that's what many women are doing, being very afraid of how afraid they are. They're afraid of their terror. And so they don't even let themselves experience it. Or when they get into it, they believe that it is real. And it is not real. Remember, fear is false expectations appearing real. So your fear isn't real. Right? And you need to be reminded of that. So let your fellow remind you, if you've got one, uh, remind you that Fear is not a real thing to experience. You need to get under the fear. You need to get further down than just staying in this fear place. That will help a lot. Both gender, both you know, males and females, both genders, have huge benefits to bring to the table of emotional processing. Right? And when you start seeing the benefits and start working with each other, you can help each other stay in a state of humility. And this is where many of you, we haven't had a talk yet about soulmates. Oh, by the way, I wanted to ask a question. How many of you would like to have a talk about soulmates soon? Okay, okay. All right. 
We'll have a talk about soulmate soon. Uh, when I define soon, before the end of December, is that soon enough? <laughs> Earlier. <laughs> um, but it, one thing we haven't talked about with soulmates, but this is something that's really handy, is that if you are not humble, when you meet your soulmate, you are going to have terrible strife in dealing with the emotions that, are, that arise. Right? Because your soulmate is going to trigger you in if you think you're getting triggered now, think again. Because when you meet your soulmate, you are going to get full-on emotional processing going. It'll just ramp up if you're open. The problem for many of us is we are not open to it. And that's why some of us are prefer, definitely prefer to remain single. Because you get in that relationship thing and what happens? <laughs> Everything starts happening and before you know it. And if you can stay humble to it, you can progress really rapidly. Right? So that's one thing myself and Mary are really focusing on, trying to stay humble to everything that comes up in the relationship. Because it just opens both of us up and expands both of us each time. All right. Brian? Uh, Brian, if we can go Brian behind first. Uh, I just got a bit triggered, AJ. Mm -hmm. um, the gay stuff, um, the sort of combination of the masculine and the feminine that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, that... The same happens in a gay couple where one half of the gay couple generally will be less afraid of dealing with their terror than the other half. Yep. And one, but one half will be better emotionally at processing than the other half. Yep. So it's the same principles. And, but many times with a gay couple, this happens to a lesbian gay couple or a, hom a homosexual gay couple, many times both of them are more in tune emotionally and that's a part of the, the gay soul, if you like, or that one whole soul before it splits in two. So there's ho often a higher propensity towards dealing with emotion. And one of the things then that seems to happen is that that's why we trigger a lot of homophobia around the place because this Very stuff true. is going on. But another reason why you trigger a lot of homophobia around the place is because you're not accepting God's morals. Do you understand what I mean by that? No. No? Well, God's morality is that you would only have sexual liaisons with your soulmate. Yeah, right. now I get it, yep. yep. Now, what often happens in the gay community, particularly the male gay community, is that sexual liaisons are very indiscriminate and a lot of times without love at all, yep. right? And that's, you know that to be the case. Now, as that happens, what's happening, actually happening is you're breaking a lot of God's laws and that brings a lot of pain to you and your relationship. So one of the major issues that gay, particularly gay men face is this issue of actually understanding how morality affects their happiness and in relationship. And that will have to do with AIDS then, won't it? Of course, yep. of course. A lot of the diseases that we see associated with all sorts of things in the world are due to the fact that we're not looking at the law of attraction that's occurring. And the law of attraction always indicates that something is wrong at the emotional suppression level. So AIDS is not a punishment of God upon the homosexual community. What AIDS is instead is an indication 
that the homosexual community generally, particularly the male homosexual community, is not getting one of the basic principles about love that causes suppression in their body and in their body's immune system. So their immune system can't work anymore. But when they actually work through that issue emotionally, then you'll find that the AIDS problem will just disappear. Does that make sense? Yep, sure does. Thanks. Yep. So the key for many uh, gay couples, and particularly male, male gay couples, is to deal with the issue of morals. But from an issue of emotions and humility, both halves usually have this male-female balance a lot more even. And so that means that uh, often a gay couple can, pro can progress very rapidly on the divine love path. And that's why, like, the Apostle John, for instance, um, is, his soul couple is gay, and he was the second, they were the second soul to enter the soul union state in history. Does that make sense? So, so that's because of the specific qualities of the soul that often are associated with uh, gay couples. Of the 14, two of the couples, so of the seven souls that returned to earth, two of those souls, so four people, were gay couples. So two souls were gay souls. Does that make sense? So, so this, is, this is God's demonstration, if you like, that every single person has the ability to reach at one moment, no matter what their sexual orientation, but it requires that we actually look at all of the areas of our life and not just the areas that we think we want to, to, to focus on. And one of the areas that is very difficult for many, for many homosexual men to focus on is the area of promiscuity. Like, and to be frank, there's a lot of spirits involved in this process of promiscuity in the gay community. Yeah, I was going to start by saying I... I have um, confusion around sharing your truth with others. Mm -hmm. And then I realise that's not truthful. Mm -hmm. I actually have firm ideas about it. Okay, so um, let me hear your firm ideas. Yeah, um, I just feel what right do we have to be the truth police, in a sense, on another person's life? And that may not be what you're talking about, but there's, a, there's an element of danger in, in, in what we're hearing, I think, to... Well, can I just address yeah. it emotionally for you? Yeah. Just a lot of times our words tell us our own emotional injury. Mm. And so let's look at the words truth police. Which is the words that you... What does that feel like to you when it's repeated back to you? That was an imposition of... Um, so, yeah, imposing. Okay, so <laughs> this police part is imposing on free will. Yes, and taking a higher position and not being humble, actually. Okay, so mm. condescending? Yes. Judgment, all that, yeah. Right. Judgmental? Ju ju I can't spell a thing. <laughs> My other half of the soul got that bit. I don't know. <laughs> what does she think about it? That's a she. Um, Okay, right. I'm, I'm seeing that the two can't exist together, can't, don't belong together. Exactly. And I'm seeing that people can perceive that they have a, a moral obligation to impart truth upon others where they see falsehood. For example, somebody steals something. Okay, I need to speak up about that. What right do I have to speak up about that when I've just gone out for dinner and eaten and spent enough money that could have fed and saved five people's lives just uh, not far away 
Um, yeah, and I'm, see, I'm in a sense you're, responsible. Now, you're, now yeah. you're actually mentioning another injury that we all have many mm. times. I notice myself doing something and I go, mm. I notice somebody else doing something, mm, that's bad. Like, in other words, a lot of us are very, um, we allow ourselves to get away with what we condemn in others. And we don't understand that, yes, a lot of the time what we're doing ourselves is creating what we're condemning in others. So I condemn a person who's a stealer, but a lot of times I won't give him enough to eat. Does that make sense? So I'm actually helping create him. So a lot of times this is what we're doing. Now, obviously, if I'm acting in harmony with love, I won't do those things. The second thing is that this police idea comes from the fact that when we get truth given to us, a lot of times it's given to us through and we receive it through some filters. And the filters are, I'm getting attacked, I'm getting hurt, I'm getting, do you know what I mean? I'm being judged. And frankly, a lot of times you are getting judged by that particular person or hurt by that particular person. But understand that that's not what God means by when, and that's not what I mean when I say you must tell the truth at all times. What I mean is that you won't have these feelings in you towards that person. So often you'll hear me say, do you, do you want to hear the truth to a person? Many of you hear that, right? And a lot of, most people say yes, right? And sometimes they actually mean no, but they say yes because they think that that's the right thing to do. But often it's not because it's not how they feel. But, but what we try to do is I say, do you want to hear the truth? Yes. And then I'll say the truth. And then when they get angry, I say, so did you want to hear the truth? No. <laughs> right? Next time, say no. I don't want to hear the truth. You're allowed to do that. Do you know what I mean? And the problem we have here on the planet is that free will is often not respected in all sorts of transactions. And in your own life, Kim, free will hasn't been respected. In other words, I mean other people have, when you were little, have imposed upon your free will so much, right, that now there's this terrible feeling inside of you whenever, you, whenever free will has the potential of being hurt, harmed. And that's an emotion that causes you to then use the term truth police. I would never feel that I could ever police your life. You have complete free will and are totally able to do whatever you decide that is God's gift to you. However, my relationship with God means that I have a desire to state the truth at all times, even if that means that you're going to get angry with me. In other words, I love you enough for us to finish up not having a relationship because of your feelings towards me, for me speaking the truth. Does everyone get that? You see, if I, let, me, let me state it a different way. If I love a person, I will tell them the truth no matter how they react to it. Right? But I won't ever do it in a judgmental, condescending or by imposing on their free will. Now, many of you, I could come and tell you a long list of truths about your life, but have I done that? What have I done instead? Many of you have come up and asked me, and so I tell you. Some of you have even said, 
AJ, I want to know everything. <laughs> and so I tell you everything. And like Jen, you've done that with me, haven't you? And you've regretted it now, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So, so but, but you did say that, right? And so I take you at your word and I tell you everything in every reaction, in every interaction, even if it's public or private, bang, Jen, Jen gets the truth from me because that's what she asked for. And so I give it to her. Now, there's times when Jen's been angry with me, right? Okay. And when, when you're angry with me, what do I do? I just go away then. I say, no, no, Jen, you've got to stop now and go away because I don't want to spend time with you now because you're angry. Right? You asked me to do this. I'm doing it. I'm disrespecting. But now you're angry with me. This is unloving. And Jen's gone away in a huff sometimes with me, sometimes for a month or so, huff, right? And work your way through the emotion of it. And, then and when you've worked your way through the emotion of it, Jen's always come back and said, AJ, I'm really sorry for that projection of anger. And often she's been crying and saying she's sorry. And, and I give her a big hug and say, that's no worries, Jen. Let's go on to the next truth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the beauty of doing that is that gives you the capacity to actually get more truth in your life. But the majority of us don't want to do that, you see. So the majority of ins instead have these terrible viewpoints of truth. So my suggestion is the truth is always needing to be said. But the motive in which you say it is very important. If your motive is condescending, judgmental, or imposing on the other person's free will, you're demanding their them to change, then you are now not in harmony with love. And instead of speaking the truth, you need to stop and start to focus on your own truth as to why you're not in harmony with love. When you get yourself back into harmony with love, now truth is so important to say. And it's always loving if it's delivered with a loving motive. In fact, truth is the only thing that is going to set everyone free. It's the only thing. Now, I've said this to you over and over and over again. And in the first century, I said it over and over and over again. The truth is the only thing that is going to set you free. If you dislike the truth, how are you going to ever be free? If you view truth negatively in any way, how are you ever going to be free? going to be very difficult, isn't it? Can you see that? So can we continue with the emotions, Kim? Um, so you're right. Can you see that the word police and the word truth don't really belong together? Yes, I can. Yeah. And can you see how because you put them together, there must be some emotions of a fear of these emotions from others? Yes. And that's what needs to be dealt with inside of yourself. I'll explore that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I also... So, mm. so there's been many times in the past where people have harmed your free will, been condescending towards you, mm. judgmental towards you, mm. and when you release those, what will happen is you will get to think of truth just without the police on the end. You will think truth is so important and you will start saying it yourself and practising it yourself completely and loving it when other people do it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but when we get the truth of our own failings, our own denial, our own patheticness, our own, you know, come on. I mean, that's big, big stuff. Who, who are we to possibly look at another person and say, mate, I'm sorry, but you're just missing that. You, you, that's what I'm talking about as well. Yeah. Uh, and, but see, mm. but see, 
again, you're coming from the point of view of having been judged. Mm. You see, I, I don't look at it like that at all. If somebody comes to me with truth, I feel like really blessed that they've told me those things. Okay, so it's to do with the, your own, yeah, your it's, own intention, your own. It's to feelings. do with your own emotion yeah. about how truth has been used against you in the past. Yeah. You see, if, if you're coming from a loving motive, you don't want to use truth against a person. You're trying to help them with truth to get closer to God. Mm. So you're actually in a loving space with them with regard to truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. In your past, yeah. people have, and in, to be frank, in most people's past, right, people have been harmed with truth by actually having an unloving motive. So in other words, you tell a friend a secret and before you know it, the whole world knows it, right? And all, what did you feel? Embarrassed. And you didn't want to feel the emotion of embarrassed. And so then you got angry with your friend. You know what I mean? And, and all of these other things come up. But if you release this emotion of embarrassment within yourself, would you be afraid that anybody knew any truth about you? You wouldn't, would you? Like, it doesn't worry me what truth you know about me. You can know I was a Jehovah's Witness in the past. That's fine by me. You can use it against me if you want. You can actually think that all these teachings I'm teaching come from that religion if you want. You would be wrong, of course. In fact, in fact, you'd be so wrong. There's only probably three things I've ever taught that have actually come from that religion that that religion actually has as truth in it. But you can believe differently if you want. And you can judge that if you want. You can then call me a cult leader if you want, which is also a judgment as well, right? And you can do all of those different things. But if I'm in a state where I'm willing to feel all of my emotions about that, it won't matter to me. Does that make sense? I may get hurt and I'll feel my hurt. I may get attacked and people are getting angry with me. There's lots of people swearing about me on the internet. I'll feel hurt about that, but I won't attack in return because I'm in a state of humility. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you was going to say what I just said. I must have been channeling you for a moment then. Because <laughs> goodness knows I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> Alex. Um, I just went to the car and I <laughs> just had a huge breakthrough about um, fear of truth. Um, it was when I was a kid, my mum accused me of um, stealing some money out of a purse and I never did. And so I went into a big fit about that. Yep. Um, but so do I have to come and see you to have a release? Because <laughs> I've been working <laughs> on this for This is not about me and you, it's about you and God. I know, I've, but I haven't been able to do this. I've just gone out the car in two minutes, bang, bang. I, well, yeah, one thing, a lot of people, a lot of you will notice that when you come and talk to me or see me or whatever, that all of a sudden some emotions come up that you've been struggling with for a month or two. Many of you find that. Many of you find you come up to me and you can't even get your words out because you're crying already and you don't know <laughs> where you've been struggling for a month before to, to cry. Now, the reason why that is the case is really simple. I don't have any judgment about you feeling this emotion. And you can feel that from me. Does that make sense? So for those of you who, who are processing in that way, you come up and we talk and all of a sudden you're crying when you've been struggling, it's because you're feeling that I'm totally okay with you feeling how you're feeling. I'm totally okay with you, you know, the emotion that you're experiencing or need to experience. Right? And I don't have any judgment of you crying. In fact, I'm there on the sidelines going, yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah, yeah, go for it. Right? <laughs> when, when in fact... Most people around you are going, what are you doing crying? What are you doing crying? You know, like most, you think about your environment generally. 
What is your environment? Get yourself together, you know? How dare you do this? Like, I'm on my food on my table at the right time. You know, if you're a wife with a husband or whatever. But you can't cry like this all the time. There's something wrong with you. Like, you need to go and get a pill or something. How many of you have had that said to you? Like, I've had that said to me quite often. You need to go and be put on medication. All right? Because, you know, you're too emotional. And how many, how, how, many, how many times when you were a child were you told you were too emotional? Yeah, a lot of women have had that history, right? So, so, you know, we're told we're shut down all the time. Now, when you meet a person who isn't shut down towards their emotions, you, it feels like a relief inside of you. Ah, here's someone... And like, quite often I have people come up and they tell me all their secrets, like... And they, they say, I don't, I've only just met you. Why did I tell you all those things? <laughs> and the reason why is because they can feel there's no judgment coming from me about those things. And I have a desire to know them, not, not some fictitious them or false mask them, but the real them. And so they feel drawn into the discussion. This will happen with you as you deal with these judgments as well of truth and judgments of emotion and everything. You'll start noticing people coming up to you if you haven't already noticed, right? People coming up to you, wanting to talk to you about their feelings when before they wouldn't. Why do they do that? Because they can feel the change in you. Yeah? I, I thought you put up your hand. I ask you when you haven't. <laughs> no. no. Okay. And what's the time? Oh, okay, time to go for a break. <laughs> Let's come back at four, shall we? No worries. everyone? I'm feeling a real, uh, I don't know about you, but I know my emotions affect these presentations a lot. And um, my, as I said to you earlier, my emotions are like, I f the way I feel is I feel very much like a hurt child type emotion today. And it's really got me in the guts as well. So I'm having lots of pain as I'm speaking with you um, through the unworthy type emotions. And so that's uh, having an effect on the presentation, of course. Um, but I'm also noticing that quite a lot of spirits with us are in the same state as I am. <laughs> so, um, so unfortunately, that's causing a little bit of a depression, if you like, of, the, uh, of our session today. So what I think I will do is I will do this uh, humility presentation another time in the future when I'm feeling buoyant. And, uh, and hopefully that will... Uh, mean that I can present the material in a much more stronger fashion that it deserves. That all being said, um, I'd like to say a bit more still about humility. Humility is a lot like 
having the desire to be taught by God. So can I just write that down? Having a passionate desire to be taught by God. One of the things I really love about getting taught by God is that um, when you get taught by God, God knows everything. And that's a real big advantage. You see, when we get taught by others, so if you connect with a guru here on earth or something like that, what happens is they have a limited amount of knowledge, right? A limited amount of soul-based truth that they can give you. But if you have a passionate desire to connect with God and get taught by God directly, then of course that opens up all of these possibilities for you, right? But most of the time, we don't have a passionate desire to be taught by God. Because, see, God sees the warts and all. See, it gets back to this problem that we have. Because God sees warts and all, and we don't want to see our own warts, we then go down the track of feeling like we want to reject God's truth or reject getting taught by God. When we reject getting taught by God, then God's laws start to teach us. And, to, and trust me, that's a much harder process. You see, it's like now the law of attraction is going to have to teach me what God can't teach me directly. Does that make sense? So if I'm, if I'm open to be taught by God and I'm longing for divine truth and longing for divine love and I'm humble, I'm going to receive divine love into my soul. When, that, when I receive divine love into my soul, it expands my soul and I automatically seem to understand things that I didn't understand before. Right? That comes as a natural occurrence. But when I can't do that, I have to then get taught by God's laws. And God's laws are uncompromising. And this is why many of you feel like you're being knocked around by the law of attraction, for example. Right? Because God's laws are really uncompromising and what happens is as soon as we notice what's going on in our lives generally, we start getting hammered from all of these quarters and we start getting quite worried about it all. Start getting quite stressed out inside of ourselves about you know, all of these different things that are coming at us and then we start wanting to shut down the process. And many of you have experienced this, right? Where you've had a period of a week or so where you get overwhelmed emotionally and then you get so overwhelmed emotionally that you're starting to want to control the whelm. <laughs> if there's such a word. You want to control so that you're not overwhelmed, but you're just whelmed. <laughs> You know, right. I don't know if that's a word, but anyway. And, and so what happens is, instead of allowing yourself to be overwhelmed emotionally and allowing all the emotions to come in, just be overwhelmed with those emotions and let the soul expand naturally, which it does automatically when you're connecting with God, what we try to do then is we start trying to cut it down and cut it down and cut it down and get it back under manageable control, right? But the problem with that is we get it back under manageable control, but now our soul's errors are, are radiating to the universe at their maximum amount, which actually ramps up the law of attraction, right? which pulls in all of these events to tell us that we're actually in denial of our emotion. 
And that's all caused by us not wanting to be taught by God, but rather wanting to control down or shut down the process. God knows how much you can cope with. You have got no idea how much you can cope with. You can cope with a lot more than what you're currently coping with. Trust me, you can. But often we don't believe it, you see, because what are we trying to do? Here's our soul, and we're trying to keep our soul that big. Right? Because when it gets bigger, we, the only way it's going to get bigger is to be overwhelmed. And we don't want to be overwhelmed, so what we try to do is squeeze it all back down to how it feels comfortable. We want to feel comfortable, right? Trust me, you've got to get used to being uncomfortable. Right? A place of permanent progression is a place of always being uncomfortable. And you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You do. You do. You'll notice the switch in you in, a, in time. See, at the moment, what happens for many of us is we're very uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And so what happens is that we have a lot of resistance to the discomfort. right? And therefore, we have a lot of resistance to being overwhelmed. Now, in that state, because of that resistance and that control that we have over the process, now all of our denied stuff gets reflected to the universe like a radiator, attracting all of this stuff, and our law of attraction seems to have ramped up. And of course it's ramped up. Your soul progressed, remember? Remember, like, your soul started out this big, and then you learnt some truth. And when you learnt some truth, your soul expanded to this big. Well, that, that means your law of attraction is going to expand too, to that big. Does that make sense? When you exercise your desires in harmony with love and truth, your law of attraction will be really, really powerful. When you exercise your desires in disharmony with love and truth, your law of attraction is going to be really, really powerful, but in a negative event type of way to correct you, right? And that's because your soul has expanded too. So what we want is this soul of ours to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? That's what we want. We want it to get bigger and bigger and bigger and just keep growing infinitely. It's, ca it's capable of growing infinitely. But most of the time what we're trying to do, that's what God's trying to do. God's trying to pour us full of more stuff, right? Pour full of more stuff. This person is really resistive. I don't think I was just... You know? Now, God doesn't do that, right? But, but what happens is we expand to a certain point and then... And, and then we've we're now got ourselves back under control. Like, that's what it feels like to us. Oh, I can breathe a sigh of relief now. I'm back under control. But in that state, you are now stagnant. And when you're stagnant, your soul's not expanding, and therefore it's not changing, and therefore it's not getting closer to God, to the place where you want to be. In the end, that's what you think. But see, a lot of times what we're doing is resisting the process of expansion. And one of the ways we do that is by resisting being taught by God. And so then God's laws all kick in. And because we've already expanded in learning some of God's laws, naturally our law of attraction is expanded as well. So whenever we go into denial of God's laws, we seem to get a really quick response. Have you noticed that happening in your own life sometimes now? Where before something would go on and you didn't even notice it really, but now when you deny something, warm it gets right in your face. And that's a result of your soul expanding. That's the beauty of it, if you think about it. It's a beautiful thing, getting hammered. <laughs> when you're out of harmony with love. Can you see why? Because it's telling you straight away, ah, I'm not learning something about love there. And isn't that why we're doing this? 
so that we can learn about love. There's another aspect I'd like to talk to you about, and that is receiving I before E except after C. Receiving a direct and indirect in indirect counsel and criticism. Now, what is an indirect counsel or indirect help, indirect assistance? Well, indirect assistance is what you're receiving right now today. I am being indirect in the sense that I'm not singling out one of you and saying, you've got this, 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 you know, away we go. I'm not saying that, right? So what's happening in one of these sessions is indirect counsel or assistance. And many of you enjoy that because you come along to the group, you get some more knowledge of truth and more knowledge of love, a lot of pennies drop and you start realising some things you didn't realise before and that's what attracts you and so you, f you can feel that, indir that indirect counsel applies to yourself and that's a beautiful thing when you do that. But a lot of times, you know what we do instead of that is we go, hmm, that doesn't apply to me, hmm, that doesn't apply to me either, hmm, you know. That, oh, there was only one or two things today that applied to me when really sometimes the whole session did. But... I think that only one or two things applied, right? And that's because I am very, very resistive to indirect help or assistance. Now, why would I be resistive to indirect help? Well, the only reason why really is because I don't want to be humble enough to see that this applies to me. Right? And so you know what? God does then, if you still think you've got a desire to progress, is God starts giving you some direct <laughs> counsel and criticism or, or what you would call assistance. <clears throat> and of course, our reception of indirect and direct help is very much a determining factor in your progression. You see, if you have to have direct help before you progress then you are actually going to progress much more slowly than if you allow yourself to receive indirect assistance. Can you see why? See, indirect assistance is really happening in your life every single moment. Right? And if you can actually say, oh, that's me, that's me again, that's me again, that's me again, and even if, and the key is not to be overwhelmed by the whole process in the sense of, I get into this fear-based state, but rather allow your soul to be overwhelmed by the emotional processing of it all. If I am resistive to indirect, indirect counsel or indirect assistance, then already I am not being humble. You can see why, can't you? Because I'm not actually applying what the law of attraction is bringing to me. See, a lot of times we come along to a session like this the first time, and we, uh, we hear a lot of things. Half the things we hear, we don't agree with, probably. You know? And so, so we get into this state of saying, hmm, I don't know whether I really want to go back there again. You know, like, I couldn't agree with a lot of that stuff. You know, a lot of it sounds like some Christian mumbo-jumbo. And a lot of it sounds like, you know, a lot of it sounds like it's pretty out there. 
and unreal, particularly the stuff about him being Jesus and all that. It's pretty out there. Like it's out there, out there. And then, and then, you know, so we go through this thing of, of saying these things to ourselves when in reality we just received huge amounts of indirect truth. Right? And we become resistive to the indirect truth. And for many of us, that's the time when we could easily just go off onto another course at any point because what's happening is we receive some indirect truth, didn't like what we heard, right? and so we go off and try to get what we like to hear from somebody else. And if you're only getting what you like to hear, is your soul expanding? Not like it could be, hey? See, see if I'm only getting what I'd like to hear then it's only if I like to hear a bit more <laughs> that my soul will expand. But if I'm, getting, if I'm open to receiving everything I can possibly receive from God, then what's going to happen is my soul is going to expand in its most, like, its most elastic possible way that it can expand. And that's pretty rapid, by the way. In the spirit world, it's so rapid that within like nine months, a person can get from the first sphere of the, of the spirit world to the celestial spheres. Right? Now, why is it so rapid there and not rapid here? Because we're the same soul. There can only be one answer to that, can't there? Like, we're the same soul. It's got to be something to do with the environment, doesn't it? If our soul is struggling through years and years here and up in the spirit world we can progress to at one minute in nine months, then what's going on here? Something's going on here. What is that? Well, we've got a physical body, but that doesn't make any difference because our physical body is just a a, a tool of the soul. So what did you say, Alex? Distractions. What happens is we are constantly getting distracted from our soul here. We're constantly getting distracted from our true emotional condition. The big difference between here and the spirit world is that you cannot manufacture your condition. Let me illustrate that in another way. You cannot look different to how you really are in the spirit world. You see, when you pass, the moment you pass, one of the things you'll realise is this. I'll pass and all of a sudden I look in the mirror and see myself as I really am. Right? Now that, for many people, is a terrible shock because how they really are was with all this ugly thing in their face and all these warts all over them and all this terrible, you know, scrunched up face and all emaciated body. That's how they really look, actually, when they pass, many of them in the spirit world. There's a lovely message of the Judas messages on the CD or on the download from the, from the Divine Truth website. Um, where Judas talked about what he looked like when he passed. And I'd recommend you read that, actually. Um, Is it question related? Let's ask the question. Uh, Right up the back. If we process our emotions so much quicker in the spirit world, wouldn't we want to get there sooner? Uh, well, I'm actually explaining to you why we're not processing our emotions so much quick, more quickly here. The truth is you can, exp- you can process your emotions just as quickly here as in the spirit world. Right? 
But most of us don't because of the facade we're addicted to. That's why. So what happens is we, because we become addicted to this facade, we're addicted to the false appearance of ourselves. And so what happens when we pass, and many of the spirits who are here with us today have experienced this, when you pass, you have a terrible shock. Now that shock it opens yourself up to the potential of your own condition. You see? So many of you who think that it would be preferable for you to pass, when you pass, you'll find a whole group of emotions about how shocking your appearance looks compared to what you thought it should look like. Does that make sense? And that's what we need to deal with here. If we can deal with that here, then we can progress just as quickly here as we can in the spirit world. Can you see that? That's all we need to do. All we need to do is deal with the fact that we are not seeing ourselves truthfully. Now, the reason why direct and indirect counsel and criticism is so important is because that tells us how we really are. But most of the time we ignore it, don't we? We go, that went over my head, that went over my head, that went over my head. You know, and then we have all these reflections from our children. Oh, yeah, you know, flipping children. I wish I never had them, you know. They create so much pain and turmoil in my life. Not realising, of course, that it's my law of attraction. I'm getting shown the reflection of what is inside of me by my children in particular, right? And then I go to work and I get the same reflection shown at me. And I go to school, school if I'm that age, I get so same reflection. In my relationships with every single person, I get a reflection. And most of the time, we don't want to look in the mirror of that reflection. That's the issue we have. But in this spirit world, you're forced to look at it. And that's the big difference. Can you see the big difference there? And I'm not saying you're forced to look at it if you're a murderer or anything. I'm saying when you have some knowledge of the spiritual things, which all of you have, and when you have a knowledge and a desire to progress, which all of you have, right? Otherwise you wouldn't even be here. What happens is that you pass over with still that desire within you and that causes you to want to look at yourself. And then you look at the mirror and, be, and whammo, it's like just this terrible, terrible shock. Now... If we're prepared for that now on earth and we can really see how we are right now on earth, that is never going to happen to us even when we pass in the spirit world. It'll go, oh yeah, I knew about that. I knew about that. Yeah, that's no worries. So, and I know what to do. I know how to progress. I know how to work my way through these things. That gives you a lot of power, right? But if you're resistive and not being humble, then what's going to happen is you're going to want this thing that you see in the mirror right now to be the truthful condition inside of yourself and that's going to help you avoid a lot of emotions. So part of being humble is seeing yourself truthfully. In the Bible there's a very good quote from there. It says, A man needs to look at the mirror and see the person he really is. Right? But if you go away and forget the person you are, then you will never progress. It doesn't actually say that, but it suggests that you don't go away and forget the person you are. The problem that we face here on earth is that we are often very distracted 
from the person we truly are. Right? And we like it. We're addicted to it. We're addicted to seeing a different image than what's really there. So when someone comes up and says, oh, you projected sexually, that, what? No, I never projected sexually. You are married, you know, I, I love my wife, I don't project sexually. Now in the spirit world, you actually see this coloured cord going from you to that person you projected sexually at. <laughs> so when they, say, when they say, come up to you and say, you projected sexually at there, you go, mm, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> right? But here on earth, you can say, no, no it never happened. Right? And here on earth, you can't, you know, you're very angry right now. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. In the spirit world, you pass over and there's this, you know, there's this reddish, orangey arrow, you know, this going over towards the person you're angry with, right? And so, what, is, what do you say if you know about it? You go, mm, yeah, it's that one as well, right? You see, here, what we do is we're often telling ourselves lies about ourselves. And that's such a dangerous thing to do. It's the, the per, worst person you can lie to is yourself. Right? You can try to lie to God, but God knows all the truth, so you can lie to God as much as you want, and it's not going to be very damaging to, you, to, to, to God. I mean. But if you lie to yourself, that is going to create the most damage in your life. Right? And that's where most people come to grief in their <coughs> spiritual progression. So we come down then to all this new age stuff, which a lot of it is about lying to yourself. Right? Uh, you know, like, oh, my mum and dad really did love me. You know, I know they abused me. My father sexually abused me and molested me, but I'm pretty sure he loved me. He was just mixed up and he was just this and that. And that's not what you feel. You feel really hurt that you were sexually abused. You feel really like you were raped. Let's be honest about it. How does an adult woman feel when she's raped? Or what do you think a child would have felt being raped a hundred times? Can you see? We've got to get real about the emotion rather than just justifying what's going on and, and saying it was okay because of whatever reason that we want to justify to ourselves. What about when your family is angry and upset with you? Oh, well, that's just their stuff and that's still my family and I still love them. These are the things we tell ourselves. Like, get real. How do you feel when your family does these things to you? You feel hurt and sad and alone and all these stuff and different things are getting triggered that you're not allowing yourself to experience, you see. Humility, remember, is a desire to feel those emotions. It's a wanting to feel them. When you feel them, you'll release them. When you release them, they'll no longer be carried around with you and you will get into a state of true forgiveness after that point. But only after that point. So many of us are trying to manufacture it so that we don't have to feel the emotion. Right? We've got to get away from that. In the spirit world, you can't do that. You see? Because in the spirit world, you manufacture it and you've got all of these spirits around you going, yeah, yeah, that's just fake, that's just fake, that's just fake. They can see you. Right? But on earth, we're so used to not being seen. We can cover over ourselves as I truly am, can't I? I can cover it over and feel the cover over. And so when I do that, what happens inside of me? I am actually covering over my own 
possibilities. I'm actually stopping myself from being the person I truly could be by covering over all of these other things. You see, when we accept all of the ugliness along with all of the beauty, that's when we progress the most rapidly. But when we just accept the beauty, we're going to get to a point of stagnation because we're not accepting the ugliness yet. And so we're just going to stop there and stop there and stop there and stop there until we use our will, our free will, to actually move from that point and start seeing ourselves as we truthfully are. Now, the reason why it's a bit easier for a spirit is because if you see only the beauty and you don't want to see any of the ugliness, you'll pass into the first sphere, you'll arrive in the spirit world in a lot more shocking condition than what you believed yourself to be, then you'll know the ugliness is there. Does that make sense? And if I'm aware of spiritual principles, I'll then want to work on that ugliness. And when I work on that ugliness, obviously I'll progress. And obviously part of my desire to work on the ugliness is, boy, I'll look ugly. I want to look better. On, this, in, on earth here, we judge everything through the material all the time. And we're not seeing the feelings that are inside of us a lot of the time. We're not feeling them. So we're not feeling that rage and that hatred we have towards that person and that rage we have towards that person and that terrible grief that we have towards this and that terrible feeling of like sexual shame or something that, that we have towards that person. We're not seeing them all or even allowing them to be present because we judge them or we condemn them in ourselves or whatever it is. So we don't allow ourselves to see the truth of ourselves. And when we pass in the spirit world, we can now see the truth of ourselves. Now I'm suggesting to you to not pass before you see. What I'm suggesting is allow yourself to see what is truly there right now. And it's going to be okay. Like God still loves you even though all those things are there. It's going to be okay for you to see them. And when you see them, you'll have some emotions to feel. And I'm saying be humble and feel them. Allow yourself to feel those emotions. Let yourself have those emotions come up in you. But instead what we do here is we go, no, no, don't want to do that. So we go into this thing that we often call denial, right? And we often intellectually deny. Like we, we do things like we justify. Yeah, I'm angry, but everyone's angry. Right. So... Does that justify... Like, you're basically justifying why you're not at one with God and living in bliss. Is there any point to that, really? Wouldn't it be better just to say, all right, I want to see my anger because this is one of the emotions I have that is preventing my blissful feelings. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to get underneath it. I want to get to that grief that's underneath it. But what about when we minimise... Yeah, like I yelled at I yelled at my children this morning, but like frankly, a lot of people yell at their children and they deserved it. But what did we just do? We just justified and min we minimized the fact that we were unloving. I've heard this so many times. Like we've talked about the meat issue quite a lot, right? In terms of eating meat, right? And and many of you don't like me talking about the subject, right? And that's fine. 
but I'm going to talk about it some more because this is a free session that I, <laughs> and I, I know I'm up front. When you're up front, you can talk about something different. But, but what's actually happening is that for many of us, we're justifying an unloving act. We're saying, oh, but my body needs this. What, your body needs an unloving act? How can you believe this, that your body needs an unloving act in order to sustain itself? Of course it doesn't. Like, also we, we go, you know, but uh, you know, everyone else is eating it and it's not, ba it's not bad for me, not bad for me at all. What? Like, something that's unloving is not bad for you? Of course it's bad for you. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like, killing an animal is bad for you. It's an unloving act. So it's bad for you. It doesn't matter how it's affecting your body. It's a bad for your soul. Right? So allow yourself to see when you're doing unloving things. Do you think yelling at your children is bad for you? Yes, it is. You know, there's going to be law of compensation emotions associated with that, that you're going to have to feel at some point. And you know what a law of compensation emotion is about that? You're going to have to feel every bit of emotion that your child felt when you got angry with your child. Every one of them. And if your child 30 years later is still feeling that emotion, you will still feel some of that. Just from that one act. Is that worth that? And isn't it better to not justify and minimise it and say, I was unloving there. You see, if I'm saying, I was unloving there, I can then say, why was I unloving there? Right? What caused me to yell at my child like that? What caused me to be condescending to my child or berate my child? What caused me? What emotion inside of me created this? And let myself examine that emotion without judgment. Right? I need to look at this emotion. I need to feel this emotion and release this emotion from me so that it never happens again, so that I can be loving now. AJ, I've had five children and they're all grown up now, mm -hmm. so I know that there's years and years and years of lots and lots of incidences mm -hmm. which I can't possibly remember, mm -hmm. let alone you begin will. to guess at all of the effects that it had on them. Yep. And you're saying that I will? You will, yep. Okay. Yeah, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Well, no, I'm willing to face that. I just didn't ah. know how to get there. And that's brought me to the important point. When you're willing to face that, now God can help you experience it. You see, most of the time with our law of compensation emotions, we are not willing to face them. So what we do instead is we deny that we were ever like that. You know, I did my best. That's one of our pet excuses, isn't it? I did my best. I only knew what I knew. Another pet excuse and so forth. And so we go through these pet excuses as a parent. I've done the same. Like go through these pet, ex pet excuses as a parent without being honest and truthful. What we need to do instead is say to ourselves, no, no, this isn't on anymore. There is no justification for my unloving treatment of another person. None. That person can actually even threaten to kill me. They can rape my wife. They can kill my children. There is still no good reason for me to be unloving towards them. Uh, that's a pretty big statement, but it's a statement of truth. There is still no reason for me to be unloving towards them. So if that's the case, and I'm willing to go through every emotion that these things bring up, 
now God can help me. And that's when the law of repentance kicks in and that's where what you call grace kicks in. Right? Until that time, the law of compensation is what's present. So what happens for many spirits, and, and we'll be having a talk later in the year about the law of compensation versus the law of repentance. And what happens for many spirits is that they're so locked into not feeling sorry that they spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years going through every single little thing they did to harm another person. Right? Now, if you've harmed people, um, and most of us have harmed quite a lot of people in our life, if you think back at it, you know, we've done damaging things. Every single one of those instances is going to need to be felt and your involvement in what that person did is also going to have to be felt as a result of what you did to them. And that's like, can you feel like that's a heavy burden? Now, when you're willing to feel that now, and you can talk to God about that, now the law of grace kicks in or the law of repentance kicks in. Because I am humble and willing to experience the law of compensation in its complete degree, and I talk to God about that, now the law of grace kicks in and removes from me the cause of why I did it by me being open to that experience. So whatever the childhood cause within me as to why I then damaged others gets removed and so I will never damage another person in that same way again once it's removed. Ever again. I don't even have to try because the whole cause of what I did has been removed from me. You follow me? And if the cause is removed, then I don't have to try to do it right. I automatically do it right from there on. Do you still have to recall every incident, every situation? You have to be willing to recall. Uh, yes. There's a big difference between having willing to recall to, yes. and being willing to recall. Yes. Can you see? Most of us are not willing to recall. And so therefore, grace cannot help us. Right? God cannot help us while we're unwilling. God can only help us while we're willing. And this is what humili why humility is such an important aspect. While I'm willing to feel all of the emotional reasons as to what I created in my life, all the responsibility of what I've created damaging in other, in, in other people's life, what that does for me now is it opens up this pathway where God can reach in and actually alleviate the causal reason why I did it. And that's going to be an emotional experience. I'll cry for an hour or two hours or three hours and then it will be gone and I will never do it again. And your law of attraction will change instantly from that place. You'll notice your law of attraction just change instantly after that on that particular issue right? when you do that. And this is the key is that often what we do is instead we get into denial, we justify, we minimise. And another thing we often do is uh, shift the blame, right? We like that. Like, yeah, it's all your fault that I did that. So we shift the blame. And these are all just things that we do to avoid our law of compensation emotions. Now, remember in the past when I've talked about emotions, I said that there's a whole group of causal emotions within us that need to be released. There's the causal emotions where other people have done damage to me. You remember that? Then there's a whole group of emotions where I, because of these emotions within me, 
have done damage to others. And they are what are called the law of compensation emotions. Now, what I find is that most people have no trouble at all feeling the damage that other people have done to themselves. Right? So we be humble in that state. Yes, I can feel that, uh, yes, you know, James hurt me the other day and I feel that. Right? And then I get into that and have a big cry about it and eventually I release that and I've forgiven James in that state and now I feel good, right? And now you know, he feels that I'm no longer projecting anger and rage at him. But that, that is the way I can deal with that emotion. So I deal with that. So I, and often I do deal with those kind of emotions for many of us, for many of us like that. But the whole group of emotions we're very resistive to is the group of emotions where we have harmed the other person. And constantly I'm hearing from people, oh, but it was your law of attraction. What? Like, you're going to justify to me being unloving to me because it's my law of attraction? How unloving is that? Right? What about how I've heard some people say, oh, you would have felt forgiveness from me so I didn't have to say it. What? Yes, I can feel you haven't. <laughs> repented yet. Does that make sense? I can, I can feel you haven't repented yet just by you saying that. Because you see, if I was really sorry for what I'd done to say, let's say I'd done something to Nina and I'm really sorry, I would actually feel impelled, would I not, to go and say to her I'm really sorry? Wouldn't I? If I knew that I had done it and I could feel it, wouldn't I say it? What would cause me to go, nah, Nina will feel it, you know, She'll feel I'm sorry. Am I sorry? No, of course not. Otherwise I wouldn't have that resistive emotion within me about the issue. Can you see if I was really repentant, I would be saying to Nita, I'm so sorry. I might even be crying when I'm saying to Nita, I'm so sorry that I did that to you. Can you see the difference? One is a state of pure humility, a pure feeling of wanting to feel all of your own causal emotions inside of yourself. The other is a state of saying, of still a state of anger, really. Right? Now, I've had so many people say, oh, you know, you don't talk to me anymore. I say, yeah. Why is that? I'm sorry for what I did in the past. I say, no, <laughs> you're not. And if I continue having a relationship with you, all you're going to do is do it again. And I don't want that in my life. So what I'd had to do is deal with the underlying emotion, get to a state of forgiveness of you, which I've done, so I no longer feel angry or upset or anything like that with you, but I'm not going to spend time with you while, I, while you're going to keep projecting anger at me. Can you see? Because if I love myself, I wouldn't do that, right? Now, often the other person then justifies their position and says, oh, but it was your law of attraction, or, or you know, I'm really sorry, and you would have felt that. And they say it like that, by the way. Like, of course I don't feel it because you're not really sorry. Right? Otherwise you would have come up and said how sorry you were and you would have felt, felt it. Now let's reflect upon that with our family and our situations in our life. Like I sat my two boys down, they were, they were 11 and 13. When I first uh, you know, had some memories about different things and different problems that I was facing and the damage that I'd done. And I said... And I was crying and I said to my boys that, I'm, that I, over a period of about an hour it took, 
that I was really sorry for all of the damage that I'd done to their life and that I recognised that they will still probably be in their 20s even before they release it. And the truth is that my oldest son's 25 and he's still dealing with emotions that I created in him. And my youngest son's 23 and he is still dealing with emotions that I created within him. His law of attraction is still being governed by those emotions that I helped create in him. And I don't know about you, but I feel still fairly bad about that, feeling about that. It's a terrible feeling to feel that you're so responsible for all these traumatic events in their life. So what we need to do is get into stuff where we're willing to feel about that. And when we're willing to feel it, that's when God's grace can come in and take away from us the reasons why we've done it. So lots and lots and lots of the reasons why I did what I did have now been taken from me. So my boys can see that, but that doesn't change the pain they're going through, unfortunately, in their life. And, and I have to take responsibility for what I've created. Now, when you're willing to take responsibility for what you've created and willing to feel it, now God can help you. But God can't help you while you're unwilling. Because it's all about will, isn't it? It's all about your free will. So my suggestion is to have a good look at the things that you feel ashamed of doing in the past. All the things you feel ashamed of. Write them all down. Because there's huge emotions in them. Do you follow me? So you know when you had that sexual liaison with that person that you were ashamed of? And you know, you remember when you had that you know, you were a heterosexual, but remember when you had that homosexual affair you were, you were ashamed of? You know, remember when you harmed your children that way? You know, when you belted them, like in one case for myself, I belted one of my sons 17 times in a row. He stuck his knife in a power socket and each time he did it, I gave him a smack. And then he looked at me and he stuck the knife in the power socket again. And I give him another smack. I did that 17 times before he stopped. And when I look back at it now, it feels terrible, you know? Like, no, it wasn't better actually. You see, that's the thing, that's the thing we tell ourselves. But it's not better than having him pass from sticking a thing in the power socket. Because in that, in that act, he learnt from me a lot of damaging things about love. Whereas if he'd just passed, he would have learned none of those things. You see, we're so addicted to maintaining life on earth because of our fears about what it means to pass over into the spirit world that we think we can build our children just to protect them. We, we justify un, unloving violence towards our own children. We justify it. Just, just, just that one statement, oh, it was better than him dying, is a justification of my violence. And the truth is there's no justification of violence, even if it means somebody dies. Can you see that? Right? It's better for my son to have passed. He would have passed instantly in his state that he was in to a high, you know, into the summerland state. He would have, a, he would have had a wonderful time and he would not have learnt a lesson about 
love, which was actually not about love at all, that he's now still undoing. Right? He's undoing this 22 years. So, so for 22 years that lesson has stuck with him. That's a terrible thing to, to have to come to terms with, don't you think? Like, and, and what was I doing? What was I doing? I was acting on my own fear. Now my fear of that is gone. So I'd never do that again, right? Because the cause has been taken out of me. But I, when I reflect upon the situation, it still troubles me that I was capable of so much physical violence towards a three-year-old child. So it feels really upsetting, doesn't it? Like when you think of it that way. <coughs> so let yourself feel about these things. You see what I'm saying? Like let yourself have a feeling about, let yourself be humble to these emotions. Allow these emotions to flow in you. Let yourself see the damage that's been done and talk to God about this damage. Because when you talk to God about it, the process of forgiveness is something that you can work through with God then. And God's love can help you through that entire process. And in the end, clears away a lot of the causes of why you did it. So my cause, which is a fear of my son passing, has now been released. I'm not afraid of my children passing. I know they'll both pretty much enjoy the process. Right? So that doesn't worry me at all now. Uh, microphone. I just wanted to ask a question about forgiveness. Um, in the past, I've been in relationships that have been violent mm -hmm. and when a person says that they're sorry mm -hmm. and then they do the same thing again, mm -hmm. you learn very quickly they're not sorry. Mm -hmm. And if it's all right, Simon, I want to share our conversation the other day. Simon um, has had similar um, relationships that I've been in mm -hmm. and he was on the phone with me, sharing with me that he was asking for his ex-partner's forgiveness mm -hmm. and it triggered me immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I guess what I'm asking is, how do you forgive a person when you know they're not sorry? Mm. I've already talked about that subject in one of the presentations. Uh, it was called Forgiveness, Repentance and Mercy. So my suggestion is have a complete listen to that uh, presentation because there's a lot more than we can go into it now. But part of it is going to be being humble to the emotions that, of where you, who, that you feel within yourself of not wanting to forgive. So in other words, feeling firstly the anger and the rage and then stepping down into the grief that was created in that relationship and actually feeling the grief in that relationship. Once you get through that, you can get into a state of forgiveness even if the other person is not sorry. However, you won't spend time with them probably until they are sorry. Does that make sense? So you can forgive a person and be in a state of love towards them but no longer spend time with them because of the harm they will still bring to you. Mm. Peter? If, the mic, if we have the mic. Um, it's coming, Peter. AJ, uh, with regards to um, having dealt with, um, you know, striking uh, your son uh, many times because of, your fear that he might uh, uh, get electrocuted. Mm -hmm. What about the um, going back beyond that? Why 
uh, was that physical violence perpetrated by you on him? Were you uh, physically uh, beaten by your dad? Or yeah, yeah. Yep. So that was an acceptable there was way a of discipline. Of, there was a number of beliefs that I had. Yeah. One was that, and the other was that in the Bible, God says, you know, so there's that justification as well. That the mm -hmm. Bible said that you know, spare the rod and spoil the child. Yes. And all those kind of justifications that I yeah. had. In the end, I just wasn't connected to my soul. No. And, and, but I've had to feel the remorse of what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And does that feeling then go back another generation, like to feel it through completely, not only your feelings with regards to your son, but also your own feelings as a child with regards to your dad, or does that not go to that level? Yes, it does go to that level because my, my parents obviously justified the same justification yes. that I had with my own children. And so, yes, it goes to the, it went to the level of having to feel what it felt like having violence perpetrated against myself. Yes. And then thinking in the end or being told in the end that it was loving. Yes. And, that, and so there was a lot of like lessons of love, if you like, just in feeling it. Yes. And going through the feelings of the process. Yeah. And when you come out of that, you then arrive at a new state of love where you understand that love is never going to be violent yeah. right and there's no longer any justification for violence yeah. towards another person in any situation including if they're violent towards you yeah and so when you get into those states you've released those emotions and uh, and um, that's what I've had to do in the case with my boys yeah yeah thank you yeah um, Joy, thank you. AJ, what's the line then between what's, what am I responsible for in terms of my law of attraction and being treated unlovingly? Um, remember that the law of attraction is about your emotions. Right? So it's all operating on your soul condition. So it's not just your emotions, it's your soul condition. So here's your soul condition. Your soul condition is like this great big radiator radiating out to the universe that has reflective actions coming back to actually trigger your soul condition. But who created your soul condition? Isn't it your environment? Like if your environment was loving, what's the chances of your soul condition being unloving? Like they're much, much less than what most people here would think, actually. And in, in fact, in the spirit world, when love is always given, so in the case of a first fear um, situation, if love is always given, it always results in positive things, never in a negative thing. You see, here we have so many distortions of love that we believe our childhoods were loving when they really weren't. And we believe that you know, love creates pain and it doesn't. And we have all these beliefs. But the truth is that if we were all in a state of love with our children, our children would never have an ounce of emotional damage to deal with. Right? And that goes back for generations. So that applies to me and that applies to my father and his my grandfather and so forth. Right? However, there gets to be a time when you are responsible for the emotions within inside of yourself. Not so much for their creation, but responsible for their release. Right? And this is where many of us have trouble because we have so much anger about having to release emotions that other people created. You felt that, right? How do you feel about having to release something that your mum and dad created? See, often you feel like, 
I would really like them to do that for me, right? And when I say it like that, most of the time it's F them, you know, and F God and F everybody because I'm having to deal with this emotion, right, within myself. And this is the thing I've got to come to terms with. The fact is that I, this is why we can have a lot of humility but also have a lot of non-judgment. In the end, you and I got damage from our environment, and they got damaged by their environment and the choices that they made. All of us got damaged by our environment at some point. But the emotion is now in me. And the only person who can get it out of me is God and me. But the only way God can get it out of me is if I'm willing to get it out of me. So in the end, I have total control on this emotion leaving me. I'm the only person who has control. So, you know, every single person who ever harmed you can be so sorry and repentant and cry and do all the things that they do and, you know, you can still retain the emotion inside of yourself. Right? And so, in the end, you learn that actually the only person that can release this emotion or the person who has control of the release of this emotion is myself. Now on the natural love path, I have to release the emotion all by myself. I have to get to a point where I no longer remember the things that I did or remember the things that were done to me in an emotional way. Now that can take hundreds and thou- of thousands of years. Will you imagine that like being a person who has done a lot of damage, like someone like Stalin, who they suspect, and this is only suspicion, killed over 40 million Russians. Right? They know for certain he killed over 8 million Russians right, through his actions. Now, you just think about that. How many lives were damaged in that? Can you imagine having to work through the law of compensation of that without God? It's just horrific to think of. Right? But now if we involve God in the process, it can be much more simple task but I have to be willing and so Stalin would have to be willing to actually go through the emotion of all the damage he did if you talk to some of the spirits in the spirit world about this like you remember Caesar you've heard of Caesar I'm not talking about Julius Caesar here Um, Caesar um, it just makes me laugh sometimes when I say that because Caesar has a He views himself as the first Caesar. Everyone else was just a copycat sort of thing. But anyway, and when he first came to a knowledge of divine truth, it was only about 100 or so years ago. For nearly 2,000 years, he was in the hells of the spirit world, working through different emotions. Right? Initially, when he arrived, the other spirits in the spirit world who were in the hells loved him. When I say loved him, they sort of almost worshipped him. Like, you know how you get the picture from the Bible of how you've got Satan and his demons, right? You've heard the devil and his demons, right? Well, if you can imagine, like, Hitler was, sorry, um, Caesar was viewed as the devil by these other, in other words, the worst of the worst. A thousand years he spent just working through pain, pain, 
physical pain from what he did to others. If you can imagine screaming every day for a thousand years, that's what he went through. So he did that without God. He got to a state where he was still in the first fear by the time, 19, by 1914, he got to the state where he was still in the first fear but had done a lot of emotional processing and then he heard about the divine truth. He's now a celestial spirit in the spirit world. Right? Um, so he, he lives at the moment around the 13th sphere of the spirit world and, he, and he's a celestial spirit. It took him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years just to work through the layers of the hills until 1900 of those years went past and then it's taken him 100 years to get from there to the celestial realms. Now, that's the first part was the law of compensation. The second part, he actually invoked the law of repentance. The law of repentance is about coming to a point inside of yourself where you want to feel everything that you've done. And you want to get through that. And when you do that, when you're brave enough to do that, things change very rapidly then. Now, there's many spirits who... The reason why I've mentioned that is there's many spirits with us today who are really in a dark state and in terrible conditions of, like, pain physical pain, what you would feel as physical like agony and want to know how to get out of it. Now, you, can you imagine how hard it is to even hear somebody when you're in that state? What do you feel like when, like, I don't know if any of you have had an open wound and somebody puts their finger in it. Like, like it's agony, isn't it? Like, if somebody has ever felt that. Can you imagine being in a state where somebody's putting their finger in it and you're trying to listen to truth at the same time? Can you imagine that? Because that's what it's like, being in one of the hills. Being in such physical agony and yet still wanting to know how to get out of it but trying to hear something when you're in such physical pain. And so, you know, one of the reasons why the 14 return was to stop this from going on so that when people pass over, at least they don't pass over into the hills. You know what I mean? And at least they're able to be taught some truth about the spirit world rather than being in total agony and not even being able to hear. Well, you know yourself when you're in physical pain, how hard is it to go into the emotion of it? Sometimes it's so hard, isn't it? Because you're in the pain itself and you just feel in agony. And humility is the thing that's going to help us all get there, where we are totally open to seeing ourselves as we truthfully are right now. And frankly, you can understand why God requires this, can't you? Really? Like, you imagine what this world would be like and what the universe would be like if there was none of this that was going on. You could actually do huge amounts of damage, and this is a, one, of new age, one of the new age philosophies is actually this, that I'm here and I'm Stalin and I'm here so that all of you can learn your lessons. You've heard that one? Like Stalin was there so that 40 million Russians who passed could learn their lessons. Is that why Stalin was there? It's not why Stalin was there. 
That is one of the furfies we tell ourselves so we don't have to feel the emotional pain that we have within ourselves when we damage other people. That's why it's there. Because we're not humble enough to actually accept that we have harmed others. Humility is such an important thing in your progression. It's essential to your future life. If you can be as humble as you possibly can and feel all of your own emotions and love the truth and love to even feel all the things that are exposed to you, what will happen is you'll progress so rapidly that in a year's time you won't even recognise yourself. Right? And you are able to progress this rapidly here on earth. But like I said, we are so addicted to the picture that we see in the mirror that we like to be better than what it really is, that we don't want to come to face to face with our own issues and problems and, and our own things that we've done to harm others. So I've had to do that and, and Mary's having to do that and every single person on the Divine Love Path is going to have to do that. Come to see what we truthfully are. So I'm suggesting to you is don't judge that but allow yourself to do that. Does that make sense? Let yourself look at yourself. Let yourself see what's really inside. Allow yourself to see who you truly are. When you're humble like that, you won't get into a rage. You won't get into anger when somebody points something out to you. You won't even get into anger when they are condescendingly pointing something out to you. Because you'll automatically just go into looking at the emotions within yourself. So you've noticed over the last few months in particular, there's lots and lots of stuff now appearing about me on the internet, if you've been looking. Lots of stuff about what I've so-called done with Mary and done with my life and done towards these other people, most of which hasn't, of course, occurred. But I have to feel my emotions about that. So you don't see me writing back to these people trying to tell them the truth of what really happened, do you? Because I'm too busy <laughs> trying to feel my emotion about that, about what they're saying. Because I just see that as a law of attraction event. Do you see that? Like, it's a law of attraction event. Ah, oh, that's what it's about. It's about getting criticised for things I didn't do. There you go. And I can connect to that emotionally and I can grieve about that. In my first century life, I was killed for that. Right? And there's huge emotions in me about all of that. So I have to work my way through those emotions. Can you see that? Allow yourself to do it. Allow yourself to be humble and work through those emotions. In the end, they're helping you. All these people that are being condescending towards you and, and angry with you and upset with you, they're all actually going to be helping you helping you work through one more emotion that's preventing you from being at one with God. Right? And that's the way I look at it myself. Because the thing I want the most is my relationship with my father back. I miss that. And that's what I want. So... Well, the way I feel about all of these different things is all I need to do is focus on my feelings about what's being created. Right? And later on the truth is going to come out. Like 
But I don't even have to think about that or even feel about that. What I need to do is I need to feel what it feels like in this situation to be attacked or feel what it feels like to be unjustly accused or feel what it feels like to have people who don't even know me think they know all about my life and they've never met me. Right? Feel what it feels like for my beautiful soulmate to be attacked. Right? All these different emotions I've got to work my way through. Right? And to be frank, we all do need to work our way through those kind of emotions. So what I'm suggesting today is to, if you're having trouble with being stagnant or if you're having trouble getting into anger, right, where you get into anger all the time and you can't get deeper, then look at this issue of humility. Pray about humility. Pray to God about learning to be humble, learning to really feel my emotions about every situation. Does that make sense? Let yourself experience the emotions rather than focusing on what's going on and trying to correct it. You see, most often when you're attacked, what do you feel like doing? Defending. Right? So what we do is we put all this energy into defending the attack, don't we? I need to tell them the truth. That's not what really happened. And so forth and so forth. Away we go, don't we? Like, it never was like that. I don't, you know, it's not fair that they said those things and all those kind of things. But all that is just surface layer stuff that doesn't help you become at one with God. The stuff that's really going to help you become at one with God is the bit that's underneath all of that, which is, I'm being attacked. What does it feel like to be unjustly attacked? Remember those times when I was little, when I was unjustly attacked and unjustly accused of things? All, those, uh, all that unhealed grief in me that I have, that I'm carrying around, still creating all this law of attraction with. That's what I need to feel. And when I feel that, I'll be closer to God and for a start, my law of attraction will change. But even if those people want to continue to denigrate me and pull me down, am I going to feel it? Not at all. You'll get to a state where you can have all the whole world denigrating you and pulling you down and you will still feel happy. Now that's a pretty freeing state, isn't it? Like, you imagine that. That no, nobody in your life, no matter what they do to you negatively, is going to help make you unhappy. And it won't be because you're intellectually skipping over that or avoiding that person or dodging that idea. Or, you know what I mean? It won't be any of those reasons. It'll be because you feel it inside of yourself. I said to Mary yesterday, I just feel absolutely rotten about myself. Right? It's an emotion, the emotion I'm working through at the moment. And I said to her that, I'm just looking forward to the time where I can feel that I'm an okay person. Again, you know. Just imagine that, just to feel that you're an okay person. Not even a good person. <laughs> just to feel happy and content with yourself. Rather than feeling like, oh, you know, I've got this still and I've got that shame still and all these different things still. And when I look back at the contrast between what I was and what I am now, there's so much grief in me about it. Like, just so much grief. And, and I've got to feel that too, you know. And I've been avoiding that, feeling that grief of the contrast of those conditions. 
And, you know, my relationship with Mary, when I look at what it was and what it is now, it's just like nothing like what it was. And there's so much grief in that, you know. And my relationship with God, when I look at what it was and what it is now, and there's so much grief in that. And I need to allow myself to feel that grief. And once we feel this grief that we have within us and we're humble to experiencing it all, it'll all be past. And those things that we've lost will come back to us, but in a totally different way, back into their pure way that God intended them to be in the first place. So what I would like to do over the next uh, month or so too is remind you that whenever you're getting angry, upset towards other people, blaming other people or any of those things, I'm going to remind you that you're not being humble. Is that okay? And I want you to try to remind yourself, when notice in yourself, whenever you're being angry, upset, blaming of others, in a rage, having feelings of hatred towards others and so forth, I am not being humble. And whenever you do that, pray to God about being humble. My most common prayer to God is prayer about being humble because that's the fastest possible way back home to God. So let that be one of your most common desires and goals. Now when that happens, then all of this desire you have for God and all of this desire you have for truth is just going to flow through you so much and because you're humble and allowing these emotional experiences, what's going to happen is you'll flick into this place in your own progression where it's no longer this great big chore, but you actually will feel the changes happening in you. You're going to have, firstly, days, and then eventually longer periods where you're actually feeling very, very happy, even with yourself. Right? Because you can be proud of yourself for being in a state of humility, and I know that's strange, but that's what it, you will feel. You will feel a sense of togetherness within yourself that, that is a state of being happy about yourself and happy about what... You don't need it from anyone else. You will feel it within yourself. When you're happy about yourself. And you'll feel that because you'll know that you're now... Allowing this seeking desire you have for God's love, you're allowing the seeking desire for God's truth, but you also know that you're now allowing and wanting all of your own emotions. And once you get to that stage, from there to being at one with God is very rapid progression. Right? And it's only our resistance that ever prevents us from getting closer to God. Only our resistance. Anyway, that's, uh, I know it's not exactly what I had on the outline. When you download the outline, you'll see that it was probably a fair way away from the outline. <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you about humility because it's such an important quality to develop inside of ourselves. And you know our shame that we have and our guilt that we have about ourselves. And, and then we also have a lot of sometimes pride about ourselves that, you know, where we think we're better than we really are and things like that. 
And unfortunately, those things prevent us from being closer to God. So, you know, we need to let go of these things. We need to get into a state where we're actually desirous of all of these emotions that we have within ourselves. Now, um, I'm, I'm finding for myself that I'm getting right now down to real core grief. And, and it's a very relieving process for me now. Like, um, whereas before I was still getting into, shame, you know, into other emotions that weren't as relieving. Now I'm getting into these real core issues with my soulmate, with God, and this grief that I feel. And now I can feel my body starting to change at last and starting to feel different pains and aches and everything starting to go. And when I'm in the emotion, it's all there, heavy, heavy, very childlike in its experience, and I can feel it leaving me. And, and, I, and I have a sense of hope now of where I'm at in terms of my progression. And I can feel that I, it, things are getting much closer now because these are the core issues within myself that uh, I need to deal with. And I know that when these core issues are released, things are going to change so much around me and in my own law of attraction. And, and I'm really looking forward to that. In fact, I'm going to have a celebration of that. <laughs> a spirit phrase. A spirit friend said the other day, oh, you should be celebrating more often than that. And that's probably true too, right? But um, the feeling I have is just this feeling I want to have a huge party. I don't care about birthday parties very much, as you know. But this is going to be a celebration. Like, personal, a personal one, perhaps, but it'll still be a celebration that I can enjoy. But every one of us will get to this phase where you'll start realising, wow, I'm at the core of my stuff now. And you know when you're at the core of your stuff, things are going to change shortly after in a great, huge ways just by being at the core of your stuff. So that, that's something to look forward to as well. One other thing I'd like to mention to you before we go, though, is how much spirit uh, attention we're getting now as a group. And a lot of the spirit attention, by the way, is very negative. And I'd just like to talk to you about that for a few minutes. What's happening a lot is that in the spirit world, the, in the hells of the spirit world, there are still spirits who are doing bad things, doing evil things. And what they do mostly is they try to influence the earth because that's one area that they do have access to. Now, in doing that, what they do is they focus their attention on anyone who's getting better. In other words, anyone who's growing in their condition of brightness, they wish to destroy and pull back down into the mud, if you were. If you could think of it like a resentful person who's resentful that you've got some money, for example, what do, they, what do they want to do? Well, they feel they deserve your money. They might even steal from you to get your money, right? And, and so what they do is they impose their unhealed emotions upon you. And many of the spirits are now doing this. So there's whole groups of spirits now who are actually focusing on different people on the divine love path and trying to pull you back down. Right. Now, I talked about this in the first century a lot as well, and, uh, and in, that it, in a way, it's a battle for your soul. And this is where a lot of these um, movies and, and stuff, you know, books come from, you know, the battle of the soul type things. There's one called The, the Devil's Advocate. Have you seen that? 
where where you remember the man, I think it was Keanu Reeves, isn't it? In that, was it? Yep. And you remember the devils, the devil, which was uh, Al Pacino, that's right. And they were constantly looking at his flaws. You remember that? They're constantly examining his flaws and trying to pull his flaws and pull them into and draw through his flaws into a more debased condition. It's a good movie to see if you haven't seen it. And, and what's hap- what happens with us is that this is exactly how our spirit fr- friends work with us. Many of the ones who are in a dark condition, what they're trying to do is they look at our flaws and they say, oh, yeah, gee, yeah, AJ, yeah, see, he's got that unworthy feeling there, particularly with women. So how can I affect that? There's only two ways that that can be affected. One is I have angry women come at me and I feel sad about it. Or the second way is I have a woman project sexually at me and I feel like that's a good thing, right? That could be the ways that... There's only two ways that I can be influenced, really, with that emotion, right? And then the spirit goes, hmm, like, I can do some things with this, right? And if I'm not loyal to truth and loyal to love and humble, those three things that we mentioned right at the start, I can have a spirit having, a, a to, having total pleasure with destroying my life. Right? And many spirits take total pleasure in destroying your life. Okay? Um, like in The Devil's Advocate, yep. can these spirits actually give you some good things to lull you into a false sense of security before they try to pull you down? Of course. That's exactly how they work many times. Right? And so what they do is they, you know, your mediumship starts getting developed. But we, had, we, had a, we had a spirit come to us the other day, myself and Mary, and um, the spirit was trying to encourage us to break up. And they said, and they said a heap of things that sounded really, really logical. Now, I said to Mary after it finished, I said, mm, that all sounds logical, but it's not very loving. <laughs> like, and then we went through and analysed what was being said and you could see that it was quite unloving actually. And in fact, they went right down to telling us that we should break up, claiming to be a celestial spirit. Right? Right? Now, because we were in an emotional state working through things together, we could have easily followed that advice. And I could have, we could have easily said, you know, that was the advice of our spirit friends even, couldn't we? But when we analysed it, what they were trying to do was impose upon our free will. They were telling us what to do, which a celestial spirit, I've never seen a celestial spirit do. They, they, were, they were telling us to break up when, when we're together, we actually trigger our emotions more than when we're broken up. So actually what they're trying to do is slow down our progression and so forth. And once we started listening down, you know, listing all of the different things that they were trying to do, it was quite easy to see who it was. Can you see? And, and this is the trouble, you see. A lot of times we, uh, we follow along with these things because we are easily manipulated here through our emotional condition. And this is where if you're in a state of love and in a state of seeking truth and in a state of humility, 
it is such a protection for you to stay in that state. Now, in a few weeks' time uh, up at Mackay, I'm giving a talk, some talks about spirit uh, relationships. And one of, the, one of the talks is about attractions, like why spirits are attracted to us. So when you get to hear that talk at some point, um, it'll, be on the, it'll be as a download on an MP3 on the net. Hopefully it'll give you a bit more background about what's happening with some spirit attractions going on around you. The next day I'm going to talk about the damage done to the human condition by these spirit attractions. And uh, that'll give you a lot more background about what kind of damage is done, physical body damage as well as spirit body damage and also mostly soul condition damage. Now the reason why I'm doing those talks is I can feel that these spirits have ramped up their effort to harm you. And some of you may have been feeling that oppression. My suggestion is to allow yourself to be humble and do those, you know, the truth and the love and the humble and pray a lot about receiving divine love because that's the protection that you actually have to, to, for these things occurring. Now, I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just giving you a heads up that many of you are going to be influenced negatively over the coming months, away from what you originally believed was the right path because of your emotions being hooked into these spirits' condition. And what I wanted to do is give you an advanced heads up that that pressure will be coming upon you and just to allow you to see that uh, when these events occur, what's actually going on. You see, a lot of times we don't have a problem here on earth as much as having a problem with a heap of unseen people who are influencing our life through our law of attraction. Right? So just recently two spirits left me who have been with me ever since I was, from the time I was a child. And uh, those two spirits were hooked in to my pleasing women emotions. Right? And they were really upset with me pleasing women. Right? And what they were doing was they were, they were influencing me a lot, you know, and, and eventually I got to talk with them and speak with them about what was going on. But then I recognised this emotion in me, and that is I wanted somebody to protect me from women. <laughs> right? Now, many of us have these emotions towards the opposite gender when the opposite gender has given us harm, where we were looking for protection from the opposite gender. Right? And so these spirits, there are literally hundreds of thousands, millions of spirits who have a lot of intergender emotional issues. And so when I have a feeling I want protection from men, I'm going to get a heap of women spirits if I'm a woman attracted to me. If I'm a man, I'll get a heap of men spirits who wanted protection from men attracted to me and they'll influence a lot of my decisions. Can you see that? Like... That's what will happen through the law of attraction. And the reason why I wanted to give you that heads up is because if you remain humble and remain open to all of your own emotions, those attractions don't get created. They only get created when we suppress the emotion and therefore the soul is in a condition where we're in a condition of addiction. And when we have an addiction, it's not just the people, the, the people you see around you who respond to your addictions. It's lots of people around you who you don't see respond to your addictions too. 
And for that reason, what I'm also doing at the end of December, just before Christmas, is I'm going to be giving a talk about the law of compensation and the law of repentance. And then the next day, I'm going to have a question and answer session for spirits. So all of you who are mediums or whatever, um, if, you wanna, if you feel a question from a spirit, I'd like you to put your hand up and tell me the question. And also what anyone that you've uh, heard questions from and you want to write them down, I'm perfectly happy to get those questions. And what we'll do is we'll do a question and answer session for spirits to help these spirits who are surrounding us to progress so that they can move forward. Now we've had, myself and Mary have had some really interesting experiences with this over the last four weeks because we've had a lot of spirits around us who have been really, really angry and in a rage, haven't we? And then within a half an hour's discussion, they're in a totally different state. We had a group of four uh, male spirits who were actually first century disciples who came to me. Um, They'd been in the hells for 2,000 years and the reason why they were there was because I had a relationship with Mary. So what happened was I, I was alone, obviously, for a while in the first century after I began my public ministry and then I met Mary. And then we began a relationship. And because we began a relationship and the way in which I began the relationship with Mary was that I treated Mary the same as I treated any other person um, and sometimes a lot better, of course, because she's my soulmate and so I kiss and hug her and take her to bed, which I wouldn't do to any other person. But, <laughs> but what happened was they got all triggered about that, right? and angry with me. And for 2,000 years they stayed in that state of anger with me and rage with Mary. And then we had them come and talk and within about an hour those ones got onto the divine love path. We had a group of nuns who came to speak with us who were with Mary. And when I told them who I was, we had a long discussion about why I couldn't be Jesus because I was having sex with Mary. And uh, they, they, we had to work through lots of different issues with them regarding sexuality and their bodies and all sorts of things before they would actually move forward. But that happened. They moved, they moved as well. And they realised what had been going on for them. Does that make sense? A lot of times we can help them. They're just people who we can help. But if we don't notice what's going on, then you can't. So what I'm saying to you is, Take notice of what's going on around you and then ask yourself, what in me created this law of attraction? Like if you suspect a spirit is with you that it's created an event, ask yourself what within me, what, what was my denial, what was my lack of humility that created this action? Does that make sense? Let yourself ask yourself the question and then you'll be fine. You'll work through the issues. But if you keep denying and keep denying, sooner or later they will hook into some issues that cause you lots of triggers and they will use that issue against you, against your own progression. And there's many spirits in the spirit world who have a desire to do this. So what we're going to do is start to really expose these spirits. Um, A lot of people think I'm sort of biting off a (laughs) a dangerous thing, but... I feel the way, to, the way to help them is to expose the truth of what's going on and then talk to them about why they want to do it. So that's what we want to do over the coming months. Alex? AJ, is it possible for a spirit to be 
pretending to give you the love of God? Yes. It is? Yes. Totally. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because I seem to be getting into causal sometimes and getting pulled out of it very quickly, like the love of God like comes over me. Yeah, and God doesn't do that, actually. So that's the spirit that is with you trying to get you out. God doesn't ever try to get you out of your emotions. God tries to keep you in your emotions. God wants you in your emotions 100% of the time. That's where God wants you. So anything that helps you get out that's spirit-motivated or spirit-generated is generated by a spirit who doesn't want you in that condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. So bear that in mind whenever those events occur. Oftentimes what will happen is anybody... See, sometimes we interpret love to be different things. You see, some of us interpret approval to be love. So when you receive an emotion of approval from a spirit, you then assume that's love. And it could be just that you're addicted to an emotion of approval. And when somebody gives it to you, it feels good. And so you then interpret that to be, oh, God gave me some love. doesn't happen that way. Um, so how do, we, how do I know sometimes I'll be processing, <clears throat> say, um, a feeling of being unloved for four days um, and then get to the end... And like Alex said, then feel a lot of love and bliss. Mm-hmm. Does how do how do I know if it's if I've released a causal emotion? Well, that 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 experience is far more conversant with divine love experience than the one Alex just mentioned. The one Alex just mentioned was he get starts getting into the emotion, and then he feels like somebody gives him some love, and it sort of takes him out of the emotion. Right? Now, God doesn't do that because God wants that emotion out of you completely. Does that make sense? And so what God does is allow you to go through the experience until you get to the cause and then God can work with that cause. So that might take three or four days and then God gets to that cause and now you, it t- comes out of you and then you experience real bliss or a real loving experience with God. And you'll feel the difference between those two experiences. But if you hit the causal, can, it, can that happen really quickly? It can happen really quickly too, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But just be very aware that you are very, Alex, very spirit-influenced. Uh, mm. You're a very mediumistic person. Mm-hmm. And so there are spirits around who want to get you out of your emotional work. Mm-hmm. And so that's something for you to be aware of personally. Okay, thanks. And, and it might not affect a person uh, who's not as mediumistic in the same way as it's affecting you. Yep. So just, you just need to bear that in mind. Mary, you wanted to? I just wanted to point out that it is possible to receive divine love while you're processing the causal. Yes, totally. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't take you out of the causal. No. Yeah. So anything that takes you away from the experiencing of the emotion generally is motivated by some other spirit who's trying to help you get away from the emotion. And you've also got to ask yourself, what's my law of attraction to that? So there's something inside of yourself that would attract such an event. Um, Can there be um, spirits that believe themselves to be on the divine love path and feel like they know what we should be doing and influencing us to do what they feel we should be doing, but actually they're in quite a dark place? Yes, certainly. Yep. And the only way you'll be able to tell again is if you're open emotionally and you're always communicating with God. Remember that when you're longing 
having a longing for God's love, God always hears you. Right? And you need to learn to trust that. Right? And so the key is to all, if you focus on your relationship with God firstly, everything else will sort itself out and you'll understand what was going on. Spirits will often try to falsify your, your condition or falsify their condition in order to get a connection. Many of them don't even do it for malevolent reasons. Many of them do it because they're thinking they're actually helping you. Right? We were, the group of nuns that were with Mary were feeling they were helping Mary. They were helping Mary by detuning her from having sex. Does that make sense? That's what they believed was pure and holy. All their life that's what they believed. The only way to get to God was to not have sex. Right? So they would connect with a godly woman and try to get her to not have sex. And, and in, in the past, many of these nuns have influenced women to not have sex and to become a nun just because of that influence. This is how I get closer to God. Does that make sense? So they think they're doing them a favour, but in reality they're actually detuning them from, their own, from the person's body, so therefore they're not doing them a favour. So... And, and with respect to the, the sanctuary, yep. you know, with me falling off the backhoe and stuff, um, some people felt that I was pushed. Um, it felt to me like there was some uh, spirits that believe they're on the divine love path and they feel they were actually helping me to learn lessons and yet they're willing to hurt me for me to learn the lessons. Yeah, so obviously they're not on the divine love path. So the key is to still, it's a law of attraction event still, so you still need to go into what was going on and we've talked about that emotion that was driving, that drove, that finished up on that, with that action, you and I together. But in the end, we've got to also notice that if somebody's doing that, how loving are they? If that's the suspicion I have, go with your suspicions, but ask yourself how loving are they doing that? It's and not in loving. in actual fact, they whispered in my ear... This, this is to teach Graham a lesson and then the backhoe broke down, the battery then went flat, then they went to fix the backhoe and he fell off. Yeah. And because I don't hear voices normally, I don't, hear, I don't get messages that way, yeah. um, the spirit went from me not being heard was my, the, the emotion that they hooked into and then went to Graham and, and he fell off he fell off and got hurt. Yeah. But again it was a law of attraction event. So you need to look through the emotion inside of yourself. But yes, those spirits believe themselves to be helping you when they're actually not helping you. This happens all the time. How many times in day to day life does a person try to help you and it's not being very helpful? Like you notice that in your day-to-day -day life, don't you? How many times have your mum and dad tried to help you and you're not very helpful? <laughs> they want to save you from yourself, right? And how many times has that happened? It happens a lot. So, so many spirits pass with the same thing. Oh, I'm helping the person. I'm not, very, I'm not listening to what they want, of course. <laughs> but, you know, they're a bit deluded. They don't really know what they want. So they say someone like, Alex, he doesn't know what he really wants. I'll help him. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll help him by getting... Look, he thinks he wants to. He thinks he wants to feel his emotions. He doesn't want to feel his emotions. I'll just help him get out of those emotions. Do you know what I mean? 
And while that might be true, you might not want to feel your emotions to the causal level in that particular instant that I'm giving. And the truth is they're not helping you by helping you do what they feel you really wanted. You know? This happens a lot, so bear that in mind. Danielle? Um, it's funny because the last few days, Daniel and I have been travelling around and feeling that we've been followed a lot. Yeah. And we slept one time at just outside a cemetery. Yeah. But last night I was in extreme fear, yeah. um, which I'm not usually at night. Usually I just I go, you know, wherever I go, I go. And I, it, I knew it was unusual because I had flashes of pictures, mm-hmm. like constantly. I had my eyes shut, but they were awful. Mm-hmm. They were grotesque. Sort of grotesque awful. figures and grotesque events. And awful, some awful. people, some of you have had uh, uh, like, like really gross, yep. like horror-based yep. movie type things being yeah. presented to you and things like that. Yeah. And um, I couldn't sleep, and it's so unusual for me, that behaviour. Mm-hmm. When I woke up in the morning, some of the other girls in the house had a very similar thing happened to them. Yeah. And it's, it was our first night in the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> but so I, again, look at the law of attraction. Yeah. There's obviously fear in you of spirits. Absolutely. So, it's the most so terrifying So let yourself thing connect with that and let yourself deal with it at an emotional, the humility level, you know. But don't then go and believe, ah, oh, I'm not meant to be here because I got all of these attacks. <laughs> because this is just spirits who are in a bad place trying to influence you. There the, seem like so many of them, though. Oh, there are. There's billions. Yeah. There's billions of spirits on the earth plane who are trying to influence earth. Yeah. So, and many of them in a very dark condition. But they only have power over you while you don't focus on dealing with your emotions. So you could wake up saying, oh, oh that was a terrible dream. Oh, it's a terrible experience. We're not meant to be here. We're not meant to be here, you know, and go into this panic and off you go somewhere else. And they're just going, yeah, there we go. That was easy, wasn't it? Just, you know, somewhere that could have been good for you. That was easy. I just got you out of that, you know, and into another place that might be a lot worse. And this is the trouble, is that they, whenever you feel like your desire is being influenced by someone in the spirit world, it's because they're unloving. Like, spirits don't try to influence your desire negatively. They, you know, when your desires are harmonious with God's laws of love and truth, and like, let's say you have a desire for music, art, whatever, a spirit wouldn't try to get you out of that desire. So if your desire was to come up and learn more about God, the spirit's not going to try and get you out of that desire who's loving. Only an unloving spirit will do that. And that's the thing to bear in mind. All right, I've got some unloving spirits around me. I get afraid about that. I go and deal with my fear stuff. I tremble and let myself work my way through the emotion. Hire out the Emily Rose movie or whatever, you know, and, and really go into the emotion and trigger it and be humble and let yourself experience the emotion completely. And then those spirits will go, hmm, Got to give up on that one. Let's try and find someone else who we can do that with. And eventually they'll run out of people. That's my hope. And when they run out of people, then they're face-to-face with their own emotion. And when they're face-to-face with their own emotion, that's when they'll progress. Yeah. And if we... Um, here. Thank you. Um, I just want to know, what happens if you don't actually feel spirits around you? Whether you feel spirits around you or not, they are around you. So that's the first thing. Um, If you don't feel it, there's usually emotional blockages inside of yourself to feeling it, which are usually fear-based. So the key is to ask yourself, what are my fears about feeling spirits? Well, you imagine, like, if you felt spirits, you might be standing in the shower naked having a shower and feel the spirit next to you. How comfortable is that going to feel? 
It's not going to feel very comfortable, is it? Or, or you might be making love to your husband or wife and then you feel some spirits there. That's not going to be very comfortable either, is it? And then, um, you know, you, you might go into your, uh, into your child's bedroom when after to have a nightmare and feel the spirit that so you just tried to, to um, harm your child. That's not going to feel very comfortable, is it? Right. So, you tell, so you tell your child there's no such thing. You tell yourself there's no such thing and you try to tune out of it during sex or whatever and that keeps it all away. Does that make sense? But, it, but that's how we close ourselves down. The key is to open ourselves up but do it in such a way that's humble, that connects with our emotions. Open up emotionally as well. When you release the emotion, the attraction disappears. So, so that's when we're actually benefited. So if you're not feeling influenced by spirits, then that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Can I just say, like, I used to be scared of spirits, but yep. since all of this, like, I can watch anything with spirits and nothing... It yep. doesn't bring up any fear. So does that mean I've sort of released something? Yes, but it doesn't mean you've released everything because you're yet to feel them. When do we ever re release everything? Ah, uh, you do. Yes, you don't. Uh, that's a false belief just stated there. You will release everything. Right? On the divine life path, guaranteed, you're going to release everything. Right? Isn't that good? And it doesn't have to take a long time. Right? So don't ever go down the track of saying, oh, I'm never going to release everything. Because that, all that does is slow down your progression. Let yourself have your desires. Raya? I guess, I, I guess I'm exploring. Right up. Is it, is it going orange? Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's I guess I'm expressing a deep desire, but can we talk about some of the spirits that might come around that will help us, that are divine love spirits? I need to hear that, please. No, 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 I want to trigger your fears. <laughs> no. no, literally every one of you has sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes tens and even hundreds of divine love spirits around you. The problem we face is that most of the time we don't feel them, just like we don't feel God most of the time. And that's because of our emotional injuries. But often they are there just trying to urge us on to live in truth, live in love, feel your emotions. And they're often trying to give you a wall of protection. But they won't do it. If you, and you'll read this in the pageant messages, um, that many times divine love spirits will step back when there's other spirits being attracted all the time. The reason why they step back is because if you're not dealing with the emotion, the fastest way to get you to have that emotion triggered is to have other spirits surrounding you to trigger the emotion. Does that make sense? And so what they do is they step back and wait for you to work through the issue. Now, if we're humble, if we're listening to our indirect counsel and assistance, um, and if we're humble about that, they won't need to do that very often, if at all. Right? But what often happens is that we're not humble and then, then of course they need to step back from us and then we have a few negative spirit experiences which trigger us emotionally and then we get through that emotion and then they can help us again. But it's only when we're resistive that they step back from us. So understand that every single time you stay in a state of openness to humility, you know, humi humble, open to your own emotions, every time you're seeking truth and every time you long for divine love, that is your most protected state. And there are literally 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of divine love spirits, spirits on the divine love path trying to help you. Right? And many of them will be surrounding you as you're processing an emotion or all those different holding a space for you. So let them do that for you. So they, they have your best interests at heart and they will help you deal with your emotions. But as soon as you go resistive, they will need to step back and let you work through what it is that you're resisting. Yeah? And they'll try to help you in other ways, like trying to arrange things for you in such a way or try to prompt you intellectually you know, by giving you little messages that seem to pop out of nowhere in terms of helping you stay on the path. But they're not going to do and they're not going to feel your emotions for you because nobody can. Yeah. So understand that all of you are being greatly assisted as well. Right? But often because of our emotional addictions, it's the hooks to the spirits who are affecting us negatively that affect us the most. So we just need to learn to give up the addictions. Recently, on two separate occasions, um, while I was asleep, I, the first the spirit came and showed me into a library of books where my sleep then stayed in the library and shared all the books that they loved. Yeah. And told me that that he he told me he was a librarian. On the second. A couple of nights later, I had a chef come to me who showed me into his kitchen, yep. created in the spirit world, and then cooked for me, and I watched and smelt, and um, both of those uh, experiences were very different to anything that I've ever experienced before. So could you shed some light? I mean, I know I have a love of knowledge and have always wanted to be in a library, and I know I certainly have addictions with food and the smell of food. Is that what that's all about? Everything is a law of attraction event, even your dreams. Right? And, and any visions you've had and any interactions with spirits you have are all law of attraction events. So rather than me tell you what they are, the key is to now pray about what they are. Because remember, this is not about me telling you things. This is about God telling you things in the end. Because... Basically, I'm, what I'm trying to do now is start to wean you off of me. <laughs> I'm not a nursing mother. Right? So what I'm trying to do now for many of you is wean you off of me so that you and, can focus on your relationship with God directly. And that will bring us all more and more together as we go through this process. So we'll all come together in love while we do that. But it's very important you now start up asking these questions of your heavenly mother. Does that make sense? Like, so you'll find in future more and more I'll be weaning you off of asking me personal questions. No worries. All right, well, thank you very much for your time today. And hope, hopefully I work through a few emotions so that tomorrow is a better day. <laughs> and uh, um, I'm sorry if today hasn't been as, uh, as good as you would normally expect, but <laughs> that's the way it goes. Well, bye for now, and we'll see you tomorrow for those who are coming. Uh, sorry, something. 
Oh, you're going to sing for us. Do you want to sing? Anyone who wants to stay. You're very nervous. I've been sitting here all this time. Working up to it. Okay, testing, testing. All right, I'm really nervous, um, but I absolutely love singing and I've been typing on the forum and saying how much I want to perform and I, and I was talking to Helga and I'm like, oh, I should ask if I, if I can perform here. So um, maybe I'll just do a little bit of breathing first um, before I start. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm up here. Um, Alright, but I'm going to be singing a song called Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. Um, so I'll just close my eyes and do a bit of breathing first. <laughs> Oh man, I can just see the video cameras. <laughs> okay, okay. No, I want to do it now. No better time than now. <laughs> all right. Spend all your time waiting for that second chance. Or a break that'll make it okay. It's always some reason. Feel not good enough And it's hard at the end of the day I need some distraction Oh, beautiful release Memories seep from my veins Let me be empty Oh Keeps on twisting 
Just last words. <laughs> um, all right, I was fearing this was going to happen. <laughs> it's not so bad. Um, <laughs> come back to me. Uh, my mouth is really dry now. <laughs> okay. Storm keeps on twisting. Keep on building the lies that you make up for all that you lack. Don't make no difference escaping one last time. It's easier to believe in this sweet madness. All this glorious sadness that brings me to my knees in the arms of an angel fly away from here from this dark cold hotel room and the endlessness that you feel you There's uh, quite a few um, who are coming along who've got different musical talents and, um, and quite a number of people who are coming along who've got good singing voices and things like that. So what I'm going to do over the coming months is we're going to encourage some of those people to follow some of their desires as well. So hopefully that will make for some interesting uh, presentations that we do in the future. Huh? Thank you very much for that. That's good.